Ladies and gentlemen, we, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. It is Monday, July 24th, 2017. It is so great to see everyone to be seen. We broadcast live Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 p.m. That's our regular show, the Hagman and Hagman Report on the Global Star Radio Network, blog talk radio, as well as YouTube Live. Two new shows launched today. So proud about that. So proud of that. My daily show, my uh, it's Doug Hagman Radio Report, 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern. And Joe and John Robertson together, 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And what we try to do, we try to be very, very um, considerate of others' schedules, other other radio hosts' schedules. So we try not to, to impede upon them. And um, just really excited about how things are playing out. Um, folks, I would urge everyone to check out our two, no- two new shows. They're audio only. Their radio shows, Global Star Radio Network. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Global Star, for uh, for having us on your uh, network. And uh, I just want to. Uh, and real quick, uh, the reason I, I was yeah. asking Eric there, it's uh, if folks who want to listen to the show, Global Star Channel Three for both of it. For That's both right. Of ours, if you want to listen live, nine to ten a.m. and two to three uh, p.m. And otherwise, you can go to Blog Talk Radio and the. All the extras, extra outlets that it's going to go out on, Eric has been working on, whether it's iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever it is, it's going to be up and running soon. But if you want to hear the first episode, just uh, take the show name, at least in, in our case, in our and John's case, The Hagman Daily Show, and just look for that on Blog Talk Radio or search The Hagman Daily Show, and you should be able to find it And The Doug Hagman Show. Yes, is Doug the Hagman, title of his show. Doug Hagman Show. So search that one, right. and you should be able to find it in the meantime. But everything should be up and running in a few days. Um, we're, start, we're still working out some kinks and sound issues. Eric's been working real hard the last few days, uh, putting about four hours just at my house alone, not including what he did uh, at the studio. So, you know, it's it's, a, it's amazing. It's been rough. You yeah. don't understand what, what behind the scenes what goes on just to do these shows. Uh, uh, it, exactly, and, and I have to say that that Eric has has been a real. Um, he, I mean, he's kicked butt. Uh, he's done a lot to get us up and running. Um, you. You from a distance, me. I decided to do mine at the studio because I come here and uh, Lady and I come here every morning anyway. In fact, the ladies, the studio dog is laying right next to me right now. She still got the toy in her mouth. Um, no, no, she, no, but she's uh, she's my babe. And uh, it, not tonight. It, it, tonight's gonna be a, a. I'll tell you what. What a fantastic show planned for you this evening. Uh, f- bottom of this hour. We're going to have P- uh, Peter Barry Chalka come in and talk about the baby Charlie Guard case. In case you did not hear, see, or in case you're not following um, my Twitter feed and the Hagman Report Twitter feed, Sean Hannity tweeted uh, Peter Barry Chalka's article about baby Charlie Guard. And if you want insight into what is going to happen, in America with respect to um, 
nationalized health care. Read, well, baby Charlie Gard is perhaps the poster child on one end of the spectrum. It takes the decision-making process out of the hands of the patient and or the patient's guardians, or, as well as the, the, the doctors, and puts it into the hands of the bureaucrats. But Peter Berry Chuck at the bottom of the first hour to explain what is going on there. It's so important. And he is the man. He is on top of everything with respect to this case. And again... And healthcare uh, in general. Exactly, healthcare in general. And, 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 and John, uh, or uh, Sean Hannity had really uh, had really looked at that and said, hey, this is a, this is an article worth uh, uh, the, the, the people have to read this article. So very thankful to Sean Hannity. Then at uh, 8 o'clock at the top of the uh, second hour, Michael Cutler, INS agent. And if you have a chance, go back to March 9th, right? March 9th. March 9th. Well, actually, March 10th, we uploaded the segment for Michael Cutler, INS agent. MichaelCutler.net? Yep, MichaelCutler.net. And then the third hour, you're not going to believe. I mean, this I love this woman. Um, no, I'm old enough to be her father. Uh, but, but she is a genius. Literally, she's a genius, Dr. Tori Lindemann. Now, uh, all in the program description but that's that's our program as it will unfold tonight. I'm just kind of curious how many people listen to either my show or Joe's show. Um, well, definitely nobody listened to your show. Yeah, probably sure not, right? And if so, <laughs> okay. what they thought. They just send a note. Send a note to the studio at Hagman and now, Hagman.com. Why not? One thing about the shows, as of right now, at least for the first week, maybe two, maybe for the first month, we're not Speak sure Speak for yet. yourself, by the way. Go ahead. They're not live yet. Well, they're they're live in a sense that we do them and we put them right up, but they're not live in the sense where the audience listens as we speak. I'm live. Oh, yeah, okay. I am live. Well, how come I see, want to be live? You want to be live? No, I do. You, I want the email interaction and you know potential take phone calls. But I know we're right now with John out of the area, and uh, right. Me until he gets here and we sit down and refigure everything. It's going to be the that way for our show. Yeah, and. and but that could change. The, the reason I'm live is because I'm in the studio. Yeah. And you're not, John's not, and, yeah, so, um, not to confuse people, but. No, it doesn't really matter at this point. You know, we're just getting the shows off and running. Uh, I, 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 you know what, like I said, if you did listen, if you, if you had the opportunity to listen, um, either archived or live, just drop us a note, either one of the shows, and, and tell us what you think. You can either say, boy, did that suck, or did that, you know, hey, that was pretty good. Or, that's right. Comment on Blog Talk Radio, BTR. Yeah, that's another thing. Anybody who listens to our shows via BTR or um, iTunes or whatever, if you're subscribed, I think we have uh, 4,000 subscribers to our main show, you should be able to subscribe just like you do on YouTube to the yep. BTR shows. Yep. So either if you search by title on BTR of the two shows or you... Uh, just go and find it, then you should be able to subscribe if you have an account at BTR. I guess that's why I said that. And right now they're not going to be on YouTube, but they will be on Global Star Radio Network, Blog Talk Radio, and all the podcast and uh, rebroadcast outlets like SoundCloud, iTunes, etc. Right. And you said, but I want to reinforce the fact that that there will be a um, uh, show page for the direct links where you can actually watch the show. So it'll be just go to agmanreport.com and then you'll click on the show. And it'll be really easy for you. So, 
HagmanReport.com. Watch out for that. But, uh, you know, again, your feedback, welcome, and especially in, uh, through BTR, uh, as well. So, great show planned for you tonight. Now, uh, certain, a couple of things, and I'll be getting into this a, a lot more tomorrow morning in my show. But, Joe, I'm going to tell you, this is, this is big. FBI seized smash hard drives from Debbie Wasserman Schultz IT AIDS home. We're yeah, talking about the Wan brothers. I've seen some people think it was Wasserman Schultz for the way that the title is written. Well, yeah, it's, her. it's from the A. Right. The Wan brothers home. And right. from what I gather, uh, the landlord is the one who called authorities after what she found in the apartment. Yeah, well, the landlord, the, the, yeah, this, this is a pretty convoluted mess. But the bottom line is this. This involves the Awan brothers. This involves the uh, uh, congressional blackmail. Thank you. you and so much believe. more. Oh, 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 oh. These are the people who fled back to Pakistan. It was pa- Pakistan. Pakistan, maybe. Now, now, see, you know, have we gotten any verification from any, any of our sources about where they exactly are? Because some say that they did go back to Pakistan, yet... Imran Awan is still listed as being on Debbie Wasserman Schultz's payroll right now, right today, right today. That's probably a blackmail payment. I do remember seeing that they fled to Pakistan months ago. So if if he still is on the payroll, which I I wouldn't be surprised. Remember when Wasserman Schultz threatened the Capitol Police? Yes, yes. That was Um, this was part of it. This was maybe six weeks ago. She's sitting there in a meeting with the Capitol Police asking about a laptop and other evidence that was seized already about when she could have that returned to her and made uh, you know strange remarks after they said, it's an ongoing investigation, we can't turn over any evidence. She said, well, you know, this is the property of Congress and, uh, you know, I, I demand to have it back and you're going to lose your job if you don't comply with me. And then, you know, made some other kind of veiled threats depending on how you read into it. But this is the same story, the same people that are involved, and this is, um, you know, breaking information, which, so no surprise, I didn't see, not that I've been watching CNN or MSNBC, I haven't seen this covered hardly anywhere. And this is probably the biggest story Daily of the Caller. Um, Daily Caller. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on Hagman Report from the Daily Caller. Right. They've been doing, uh, they've been doing a fantastic job covering this. Uh, George Webb, of course, covered this. And, and folks, regardless of what you think of the, the sources we mentioned, this could be on the Huffington Post, this could be in the New York Times. I don't care, as long it, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, whatever mechanism of delivery, if you are not talking, or if you don't know about the Awan brothers, well, if you don't, if you don't know about that, tune into my daily show in the morning. Uh, I don't know what, you, what you're going to be doing in the afternoon, uh, but, but the fact of the matter is. This is, to me, one of the most underreported stories. This involves national security. This involves potential blackmail, servers being off uh, off the property, uh, an investigation being run by Capitol Police when it should be uh, run by the FBI, and on and on and on and on. But the FBI's or the FBI's agents seized the smashed computer hard drives from the home of uh, of uh, W. Wasserman Schultz her information technology administrator. Now, this according to the Daily Caller, and it's on HagmanReport.com, but Imran Awan, this, he's been working for Debbie Wasserman Schultz since, I think, 2005. Uh, direct connections to Pakistani I, uh, INI, or uh, uh, what's the uh, police INI over there in Pakistan? Um, 
I don't know. Okay, I anyway, know, but I can't. <laughs> I, I'm going to tell you right now. As far as I am Isn't concerned, ISI? ISI, perhaps yes, a jihadist, a Muslim jihadist inside the halls of Congress. Not just him, but two brothers and their and two two wives. So and a good friend. So you've got a whole bunch already infested Congress, uh, the IT. Uh, department and what they're doing and what they have done, they set up proprietaries and this this is a signature by the way of the CIA proprietary companies, car dealerships and uh, this is crazy what's taking place. But in one case, I I, I believe with uh, that's consistent with uh, George Webb's findings is the fact that they are uh, modifying things like routers and uh, what do you what were those other things routers and uh, Modems? Modems. Thank you. No, modems. And the real question is, will uh, they be able to piece together evidence from those broken hard drives? Well, is that's a good question, too. stuff on there? Because, you know, the most effective way is not to smash a hard drive. You just get a big magnet. You can wipe everything off a hard drive with a right-sized magnet. Yeah. But smashing them and leaving them just smashed on the floor is not a smart way to dispose of computer evidence. Not at all. Well. And that doesn't strike me as something an IT person would do in that manner. But, but you get the things in water for, after they were done smashing them and left it, them on the ground. It's what can be pulled from these by forensic uh, specialists is incredible. But they would know, wouldn't they? Being IT Absolute. people, oh, that their you information would, would be able to be accessed even just with smashed hard drive. But see, he, he, here's here's the thing. I think hubris plays a big part of this. I think that they felt that they had the run of the uh, place for so long that they weren't going to get caught. This. Uh, so you have a lot of questions about it. Why were they left behind in, well, a, in, in an area that's going to be discovered anyway? Why were they just only smashed? Uh, be, be because they're not the brightest bulbs in the in the bunch. I mean, I, look, look, you've they were smart enough to trick Congress and not well. How yeah, much I guess that's it. Really, okay. <laughs> Listen to what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Um, but but uh, Awan's younger brothers Abid Abid that is and Jamal his wife Hina Alvi in Rio. Abbas, Imran's best friend, are also under investigation. There have been no arrests in this case. And again, the Capitol Police are involved in this, heading this up when, in fact, it should be the FBI. This is, again, one of the most underreported stories, folks, in, 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 in right now taking place. But you've got uh, 20, uh, 20 burglars, I believe, uh, with, excuse me, that are under investigation. Um, speak, uh, Speaker of the House Paul Ryan said in March that the Capitol Police are getting. Uh, the kind of technical advice that they need to expand their investigation from the from the United States into Pakistan, and um, however, I don't trust what Ryan said. Now, this is Daily Caller had re- referenced Paul Ryan very interestingly uh, as well. And Joe, I'm not sure how much of this you caught, but the brother's stepmother, mother, independently filed court documents in Virginia accusing the brothers of wiretapping her phone and kidnapping her, essentially, extorting her and keeping her prisoner in her own home. I did. I saw that she had something to do with the police. I did not see that detail. I guess I didn't read the, the whole thing. So she was. she's claiming that they kidnapped her. Well, they kept her as a hostage, essentially. For, yeah. And, and and that had to do with money. And, and these are these are crimes that overlapping crimes. Um, this has to do with the money that that they wanted from an estate of a dying relative, uh, which would be the, this woman's husband. Their, I believe, would be their stepfather. But um, so that kind of overlaps into this case. But think about this: these these Awan brothers 
were paid about two and a half times the average salary for IT workers as shared employees. Collectively, I think over $6 million is what they made since they were working there. Eric the Texas said, vacancy at Congress? I'm out of here. That's what we get. That's what we get. Hardest working guy, Eric the Tech. It, it, plus, you'd have the benefit, too, of all of the uh, DNC secrets as well. And this does overlap, Joe, into the, the DNC's uh, yep. uh, issues. You know, a hack or a leak. And we all we hear is the Russian uh, narrative you know, over and over and over again. You just I have this up on my computer. Uh, Zero Hedge has a great article. I was I started to post this, and then I, I guess I didn't finish. NSA officials and computer expert. Forensic evidence proves DNC emails were leaked, not hacked. And it is from today at 11.29 a.m., again on Zero Hedge. I'm not going to read it. It's some memos to, to the president, a timeline of, of events from when Assange announced he was going to publish emails related to Hillary Clinton on June 12, 2016. Um, and it goes over all these different events and what the president has done and not done. and It's a very detailed article. I'm not going to get into any of it. It's very technical. But the bottom line is, this IT computer expert that has reviewed all the evidence from uh, a number of different sources, that stuff that people, I'm sure most, 98% of people haven't even seen, right? Uh, says that there is no way that this was a hack by anybody, let alone Russia, according to the um, this intelligence assessment by this computer expert. Instead, due to what he points out is basically direct evidence, and through forensic studies, uh, he fills in what they say is a, amazing gaps and has said that, among his findings, that the DNC data was copied onto a storage device at a speed that far greater exceeds the Internet's capability to for a remote hack and that the forensics show that the copying and doctoring of the documents were performed on the east coast of the U.S. And the mainstream media has ignored their findings of these independent studies, which they have links to all the findings and all the reports. Amazing. Um, and, in, and also, another independent analyst, Skip Folden, a retired IBM program manager of Information Technology U.S., examined the recent forensic findings, and he's one of the authors of the memos that were drafted to the president, has stated that cyber forensic investigation of Russian hack and uh, missing intelligence community disclaimers are... Uh, this, was never, this was never a Russian hack. This was a, uh, somebody who copied the information directly off of the computer with a device instead of having it sent or being hacked uh, and, and they have a ways that I'm not very well versed when it comes to computers computer language or programming but there are indicators in just about everything you do when people whether it's you know deleting a word document or copying pasting everything leaves a some kind of keynote or keyword keystroke uh, trace and people who are very technical and understand these things can go back and see, you know, if, and understand. Just look at, just remember Vault 7. Even the CIA was able to uh, use tools that made it seem like somebody was being hacked from somebody else 
when they were the ones doing it, they could point the finger at Russia or North Korea or, you know, pick your poison. Misdirected attribution. So for them to say that the data transferred at a speed that far exceeds the Internet's capability for a remote hack, this coming from a former IBM expert saying that this is, uh, it was not hacked, but a person with physical access to DNC computers who were trying to doctor and intimidate Russia, swipe this. Now, the information comes from metadata from a number of, of sources, part of which is the Guccifer's intrusion into the DNC server. Guccifer 2.0. Two, yeah, 2.0. Right. I like Guccifer original better. He's in jail, though. Uh, but this goes on to say that the independent investigators concluded that an insider copied DNC data onto an external storage device. So and there are telltale well, signs. Wait a second. In, when you say in, insider... Are you talking about someone working there? Or? Right. A okay. DNC data was copied into an external storage device, and that telltale signs implicating Russia were then inserted. This, according to the independent forensic investigation. Interesting. So, and again, that's on Zero Hedge. That. That's on Zero Hedge. NSA officials and computer expert. Forensic evidence proves DNC emails were leaked, not hacked. And this is what we're seeing again: misdirected attribution. The uh, narrative, of course, is Russia did it, and uh, the what I've been just what I've been seeing or hearing and reading, and uh, what is that? Am Joy? <clears throat> Am Joy? Is that uh, the CNN or MSNBC show? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure which, but uh, uh, well, collectively. Just this, it's it's all Russia. Russia's bad. Russia's our mortal enemy, which is is true. But but uh, alleging that the that the conservative base is making nice with Russia, and of course it, it's just all garbage. It, it's all garbage, folks. I want to mention uh, tonight's broadcast brought to you by ZipRecruiter.com. That's ZipRecruiter.com. If you're hiring, go right to where. You can post your job to uh, just one place because you're posting your job in one place, uh, or for multiple venues. That is, posting your job in one place alone by itself is not enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites, and now you can via ZipRecruiter.com. More on that later. And by the way, that's ZipRecruiter.com. If you want to try for free, slash free trial. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. Um, fantastic company indeed. All right. Now, so it's this this whole thing goes to whether it be Wasserman Schultz, the Awan Brothers, what you just said. It's all about, and at the end of the day, I believe, it's all about taking down the president, presidency, delegitimize President Trump. I'm not so sure with, process. With, with this story. I don't know what's going on uh, with the Iwan brothers, with Wasserman Schultz. I think there, there's something else going on separate from a political agenda. There's something behind Oh, the I think scenes. there's more. Than, yeah, because I think there's intelligence being siphoned. I, I, I don't I think, think they have time to go after Trump, I guess is what I'm saying. I think there's uh, they got their own mess that they're swimming in or trying to fix right now. Okay. With whatever she... Right. The way she threatened those police officers a few weeks back, a few months back, a few weeks, tells me that there's something else there, whether they're being blackmailed like uh, we, we uh, speculated about, or they have in, these IT people have information that they grabbed from Congress, uh, 
for extortion or other purposes. Something something else is going on here. Well, you know what, Joe? If you've got the keys, if they had the keys or the information, direct access to um, the three top committees, the Intelligence Committee, the, the I mean, we're talking about the classified information. If they had access to the top committees, remember right after President Trump was in, got in office, the uh, there, there was a helicopter that went down, that was shot down, I believe it was, and there was a loss of life. Or the, it, there was a, um, a military action where the, the our military said it was as if they knew we were coming. And is that is that in um that was in Afghanistan. the Navy SEAL thing? Yes, and the, the they or did Yemen, know. I believe it was. Yeah, they right? did know uh, they were coming, and and one Navy <laughs> SEAL, I believe, or Special Forces was shot. Yes, and that's correct. That's the one. And there yeah. were questions that said Trump or somebody tried to sabotage that mission that Trump launched. Hence the reason for uh, them knowing they're coming. So I don't know uh, where you're going with that. I see you're distracted by the yeah actually the uh, Theo. uh Jackie uh working in the office in the studio brought in Theo the studio do- or studio, uh, yeah Theo ladies friend of course there's Theo and folks and, we're going to uh, be talking about the um the immigration uh San yes. Antonio story we have uh, Michael Cutler coming on from 8 to 9 and then Dr. Tori Lind- Lindeman coming on from 9 to 10. Both are going to be addressing the human trafficking immigration issue. As uh, many of you know, there were nine dead at least and another 30 uh, in a hospital after being found in the back of a non-refrigerated semi-truck in San Antonio, Texas yesterday. It's been reported that two of the dead are children. I don't know how accurate that is. I've seen it change. Uh, We will see as more information comes out, the police today saying that they would release the names and uh, ages of the people who died plus the uh, ages of the people who were alive for whatever that's do, worth. Do you find it odd that they, this involved a Walmart parking lot, or do you think that was just... Well, you, to be honest with you, I know we're up against the break here, uh, I believe truck drivers pay a, a much larger role in human trafficking and, and the sex trade than anybody's willing to look into. So the truck didn't surprise me. The Walmart parking lot, if the guy was just trying to sleep there instead of a rest stop, or I don't know what was going on. We don't have all the details yet, so we don't know. The man they arrested, they didn't even say if he was a truck driver or not. So do I find it odd? No. And One thing we do know, some people came and picked up a lot of people who were alive in that truck before the cops found it. We'll have more on this later. We'll be right back with Peter Barry Chowka after these short messages. Don't go anywhere. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Kirkus Review states, Readers of end-times fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. 
extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Wink Reviews boldly states, fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. Uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Peter Barry Chowka, he is a, an author, investigative journalist extraordinaire. He writes for the American Thinker and, of course, HagmanReport.com. Find, you can find his articles on HagmanReport.com. In intellectual, uh, really, when it comes to the healthcare industry, that's what he really cut his teeth on and really have done a lot of work, um, investigative work with. And I've got to tell you, I've come to know Peter Barry Chowka, and I've come to really uh, admire his investigative research. He's been working on baby Charlie Gard, the story in the, in the U.K., and what it means, not just to, obviously, to that child, the parents, and the people of the U.K. and Europe, but what it means in particular to us here in the United States. And I would urge everyone to... Uh, to go to uh, HagmanReport.com and click on Peter Barry Chalka's latest article. Peter, thanks for joining us on such short notice. Well, thank you, Doug. It's good to be with you. I'm, I regret that it's under these uh, sad circumstances today, but on the other hand, uh, it feels good to be able to compare notes with you today and also uh, uh, address your large audience as well. Well, 
let's get right at it here. Um, I really don't don't want to waste any uh, any words at all. Uh, what we're seeing here, I think, is a, is, a, is an omen. It's ominous to Americans. But let's talk about uh, baby Charlie Gard. For those, it's hard to believe that no one or that anyone wouldn't know. Let's talk about uh, his situation right from the beginning. Eight okay, Charlie. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Charlie Gard uh, was born on August 4th last year to his parents, Connie Yates, age 31, and his father, Chris Gard, age 32. Chris was a uh, employed by the Postal Service in the United Kingdom in London, and Connie was going to be a stay-at-home mom. Uh, Charlie, by the way, the parents were quoted as saying that was the best day of their lives when their first child, Charlie, was born last August 4th. and He seemed like a normal child for the first month and a half or so of his life, and then he began to show signs of uh, serious illness, and he was hospitalized and diagnosed with, with something. And I'm going to read the the label of what he was diagnosed with because it's rather mind-boggling in itself. His condition was called infantile onset encephalomyopathy mitochondrial DNA depletion syndrome. And that uh, has an acronym MDDS. It's an extremely rare genetic condition which uh, apparently has afflicted fewer than 100 people in the history of modern medicine and there's no uh, curative treatment for it although there are experimental therapies going on for this condition and related neurological conditions primarily in the United States and in Italy and we'll get to that part of the story in a moment But uh, so Charlie was hospitalized at the leading hospital in London for children's Illnesses. It's called uh, the Great Ormond Street Hospital, abbreviated as GOSH, G-O-S-H. So since last uh, October, I believe, Charlie has been hospitalized there. And uh, apparently his, his physicians concluded fairly early on that his condition was so serious and with no effective treatment that they were just going to go into a holding pattern and not treat him other than palliative treatment, which in his case meant being hooked up to a ventilator to assist his breathing because he was no longer able to breathe on his own. And basically, he was was wasting away. His brain was not developing. His muscles were not developing. However, there was controversy among uh, his physicians and others who claimed that his condition was not quite as dire as his doctors were claiming. In any case, uh, by late December or early January, the parents, uh, Connie and Chris, who have gotten a lot of publicity in this case in England, it's been a huge story. And, and I have to credit the mainstream media in England, whatever else you want to say about England, they have a very vigorous press there. And their mainstream press covers the story quite well and thoroughly, I have to say. I think it's much better than our coverage here in the United States of a similar case. Anyway, in late December, the parents found out about an experimental therapy at Columbia University Medical Center in New York under a 56-year-old physician, Dr. Michio Hirano, Japanese-American, and a a world-class physician researcher, probably on genius level. 
I've done quite a bit of research on him, and he is the real thing. So he's been experimenting with his colleagues at Columbia on a treatment for this very kind of illness that Charlie has or had, has. And the treatment was called NBT, Nucleoside Bypass Therapy, and I won't I won't bother describing how that's supposed to work because it's getting down into the weeds here. Let's just say it's an oral medication that's not toxic, and uh, if it works, it can help substantially. It might not be able to restore Charlie or a similarly afflicted child to complete health, but interestingly, the way that the parents of Charlie found out about this therapy was through a uh, an individual from Maryland who's the father of a child with the same kind of condition that Charlie, baby Charlie, has. And this man's child uh, was treated at about age one, which was five or six years ago, by Dr. Hirano with this NBT therapy. And at that point, this man's baby was given less than a year to live. Well, the child is still alive today at around age six. And while he has not restored total health, he certainly has improved. He's still alive. And in my article today, which is at the Hagman Report, as well as American Thinker, I mentioned for people who think, well, if somebody is so impairly ill, we should just pull the plug on him, right? Well, look at the example of someone like Stephen Hawking, who is so ill he can barely communicate, and yet he's one of the acknowledged uh, scientific geniuses of modern times. So we really need, I mean, not for that reason alone, but it, it helps to think twice when people step forward and say, well, if somebody's so impaired, let's just do away with them. So... Let's cut to the chase here today. Um, early, actually, early this morning, uh, Pacific time, where I am, and at 2 p.m. London time, there was scheduled to be a uh, a trial in court in London. This was going to be at least the fourth of its kind in the last four months, because the hospital early on took this case to court. Basically, took the parents to court and said, we want the permission of the court to pull the plug on baby Charlie, to disconnect his life support so he can die. The parents objected to this, especially in light of the information they were getting about experimental therapies that might help Charlie. They wanted to be able to take Charlie out of the hospital in London and medevac him to New York for this experimental therapy, which Dr. Hirano and his colleagues at Columbia were willing to provide. And... uh showing the interest in the case, the human interest, the family was able to raise uh, almost $2 million from over 85,000 different contributors to uh, a massive fund which would pay for Charlie's medical evacuation and any expenses, although I think Columbia and New York would probably have treated him for free because it's an experimental therapy and there usually are no costs associated with that. So this case has been in court in London, the high court, finally, for the last five months. And on several occasions, the judge in the case, Judge Francis, has given the order or the okay for the hospital to disconnect life support. So imagine the parents at different points in April, in May, and June getting this court order. Your child is going to be dead. Say goodbye to him and kiss him goodbye. But they were able to file appeals. They were able to present new evidence. The public was interested. The Pope weighed in with a tweet. President Trump 
uh, became involved with a tweet and said that he hoped uh, the United States could offer a solution here. The uh, Republicans in Congress a week or so ago uh, passed, uh, in committee at least, uh, uh, an appropriate part of an appropriation bill granting little Charlie Gard permanent resident status in the U.S., which they hoped would allow him to legally leave England and come to the United States, although that did not work out. So we flash forward to uh, really the last two weeks when Dr. Hirano from Colombia went over to England and inspected Charlie and had a lengthy meeting with Charlie's doctors at the Gosh Hospital in London. We don't know much about what went on there because of medical privacy. Dr. Rano has not gone on the record, except that he did testify in court, apparently by video from New York on July 13th before he had actually examined Charlie. And from reports that have come out in the media, and these must be reliable because they've been reported all over the place, uh, Dr. Hirano had said that his therapy had between an 11% and a 56% chance of helping baby Charlie. He, he didn't use the word cure, of course, but he said helping, meaning extending the baby's life and probably improving his condition enough so he could survive in some kind of stable way. So finally, Dr. Hirano examined uh, Charlie just over a week ago, and then uh, this new court proceeding was announced that was to take place today. And um, I was monitoring this by a, a live tweeting that went on by a noted British attorney and journalist named Joshua Rosenberg. He was literally tweeting from the courtroom starting at 2 p.m. London time or 9 a.m. Eastern time this morning. He was tweeting about once every 30 seconds exactly what was going on. So I'm sitting here watching that on one computer, watching streaming news on others from Sky News, and, and yet a third computer was displaying articles and photographs which were coming in almost in real time. It, it was really mind-boggling. Excuse me. It was mind-boggling. This case has really affected me, I have to say. I just take I, a I, moment here to, to recover my equanimity, if that's possible. Take your take your time, and, and folks, this just look at the look at the picture of the baby. This is what happens when you get into these socialist, these communist type systems. Is the, you know money's put before life. People are, are you know, second, third tier on the ladder, and life is cheap. You, you know, you know, whether yeah. it's you know, an Doug or a baby. That's right, Doug and Joe. Anybody who's not affected by this, who who can plug into this story, not feel really bad and really sad for this family, they're lacking in humanity. And it, I have to say right. that the, the the country of Britain is a sick country because what, you know, I've been trying to understand, well, well first let me just get back to the, the hearing this morning because I, I wanted to quote just some of what happened in real time, and this is all still online at Joshua Rosenberg, R-O-Z-E-N-B-E-R-G. Anyone can find his Twitter, it's archived there. So he shocked, uh, his reporting as the court proceeding was going on at 2 p.m. London time the uh, attorney for the parents, uh, Mr. Armstrong, shocked the crowded courtroom by announcing that the parents 
were ending their challenge, their legal challenge, which had resulted in the, the trial today, and were going to allow the hospital to pull the plug, which is what they wanted to do. So there was a hush in the courtroom. People started shrieking and crying. And the uh, so Joshua Rosenberg is tweeting, saying, Charlie has suffered extensive muscular atrophy. This is irreversible, even with this NBT experimental therapy. So the chance of improvement in Charlie cannot now be delivered. This was a direct quote of the attorney for the family. For Charlie, it is now too late. The damage has been done. It is no longer in Charlie's best interest to pursue this course of treatment. So this went on for a few minutes. Mr. Armstrong, the family's attorney, was explaining that position. The parents, of course, sitting in the courtroom are, are crying, sobbing. Uh, then the judge spoke and explained his opinion in it, and he was formally deferential to the parents, uh, noting their sincerity and their dedication to their child. And uh, then finally, this was rather interesting, uh, Connie Yates, Charlie's mother herself, insisted on going to the witness stand where uh, she testified for five or ten minutes. And I just want to cite several things that she said because this is raising serious questions in my mind as an observer at this distance. So the uh, tweeter, Mr. Rosenberg, says, Connie Gard leaves her seat and moves to the witness box. Uh, she says, this is the hardest thing we've ever had to do, but following the most recent MRI scan of Charlie, we've decided to let our son go. But then she says, but he is not brain dead. A whole lot of time has been wasted. This is Connie, his mother, speaking again. Treatment would have improved his quality of life, meaning experimental treatment, because while he was in the hospital in England since November, he got no treatment at all. He just got uh, hooked up to a ventilator, and that was it. No proactive or, or, or treatment to really help him, because they apparently are incapable of it over there. Then Connie says in court, Charlie's illness has deteriorated to the point of no return, but no organ has failed. No proof that he's in pain or suffering, but the prospect of improvement is now too low. Deterioration of his muscles means there is no way back, but treatment should have been tried. Charlie did have a real chance of getting better. So this kind of exchange or testimony went on for a few more minutes and then court was concluded. And subsequently, uh, the judge in the case, as well as the hospital, as well as uh, the other attorneys, have all issued formal uh, statements, declarations in the record, and I've, I've tried to digest those. The hospital, of course, has, uh, has tried to defend their position with a lot of medical, intricate medical language, and they, they are very adept at... Uh, covering, uh, you know, CYA in this case because they can really throw it up there and make it sound like they had the best interests of the child, uh, you know, in play from the beginning. But here's the outcome. I mean, I titled my article today, Evidence is In. The United Kingdom is trying to kill baby Charlie Gard. And before that article had been online for six hours, what was the outcome? That the UK is going to kill Charlie Gard. It, it was my worst nightmare come true here. So, 
you know, how do we process this? I think um, one way of looking at it, I mean, I've been really struggling with how, how do we process this? How do we understand these supposedly well-meaning, state-of-the-art physicians in the United Kingdom and what has happened here? And I think what has happened here is that since 1948, the United Kingdom, England, London have been under the thrall of complete socialized single-payer medicine. And it's turned medical care upside down so that no matter what they say over there, no matter the spin the doctors and the bureaucrats and the politicians put on it, the patient does not come first. The collective needs of the country and of the medical establishment come first as to some extent they do everywhere. They certainly do here to some extent, but not like this, they don't yet. And so when push comes to shove, they are going to pull out the stops over there, the medical people, to make sure that uh, this just cannot go forward. This kind of thing of, of trying to treat a child experimentally to see if he can possibly improve and we can advance medical science. No, it's not going to happen. Because not only does the patient not come first, but innovation and discovery don't come first any any longer in that kind of socialist environment either. That's why at Columbia University in New York, Dr. Hirano and his colleagues in the relatively free climate of scientific and medical inquiry that we still have here, because we don't have full-blown single-payer socialist medicine yet, uh, Experiments can go on and, and hope can be given to patients like Charlie Gard. But unfortunately, he remained a prisoner, in effect, of the hospital until his dying day, which now it's Tuesday in London. Uh, the plug might be pulled today. Tomorrow, we don't know. It's going to be a private thing. Uh, there'll be an announcement after he passes away. But you can imagine what the parents are going through at this moment as they were quoted as saying, outside of court afterwards that they just wanted to be with their child and say a long, say a long goodbye to him and, uh, and, and try to use his memory and hopefully the funding that they've been given to start a foundation to do what they can to help other children so that when they come along, this kind of thing won't happen to them. Peter. But I'll tell you, this, this is such just a... I'll make this brief comment here before I conclude my monologue. This case has to be focused on by Americans because of what this says about where we look like we're going here. These lunatics in the Democrat Party who are saying that we have to have single-payer socialized medicine now that Obamacare has failed, well, look out, folks, because this is what we're going to get. And by the way, I, I would like to uh, recommend or invite your listeners and viewers to not only read my article today at the Hagman Report on this case, but I have a, a very similar article at American Thinker, AmericanThinker.com. And I would recommend that people go there and after ha reading the article at Hagman Report, go to American Thinker and click on the reader comments because there are over 160 of them at this point. And some of the best comments I have seen to one of my articles, very thoughtful people a number of them who've had experience with the medical system in Great Britain under socialism, and they are saying it better than I ever could. First-person accounts of how awful and deadly the socialized medicine is over there. And uh, I, I can't even begin to summarize it, but it's well worth 
a read. In fact, it might even be more valuable than my article itself because it's from the heart of so many people who have direct experience with what's going on over there. And please comment, folks. When you when you do read it at American Thinker, please add your own comments. The more comments, the higher visibility. Joe, Peter, you put a lot of effort into this. Did I hear you say that the doctors in the UK who worked on Charlie in five years past used a, an experimental or a procedure that corrected another uh, baby or person who had the same type of disability? It was actually the physician in the United States, Dr. Okay. Hirano, okay. who uh, five years ago w- was uh, called in to consult with... Uh, I actually wrote about this in my previous article, which I believe is still online, at Hagman Report, as well yes. as American Thinker, and I'm I, I'm, uh, I don't have that on my screen. I can't remember the, the man's name, the father of this child. Remember, the child's name is Arturo. He's about six years old now. He's still on a ventilator, but, you know, he looks like he's functioning to some extent. He's He's got some consciousness. His parents are thrilled with his development because he had a, a one-year prognosis of life, and here, here it is six years later. He's still alive. And he's grown. He's gaining weight. There's there could be hope for him in the future. I mean, medical science and advance haven't ended. So, you know, what's the problem here anyway? This was an identical case to Ch- baby Charlie's, although it is said that he was treated uh, at an earlier onset point of this condition. Of course, as Charlie's mother was indicating in her testimony in court today, since nothing was done proactively for baby Charlie since he was hospitalized in England last October. He didn't really have a fighting chance. If Dr. Hirano could have been allowed to treat the boy at that point in, you know, late last year or early this year, according to Charlie's mother, it could have made all of the difference. And and that's just common sense. I mean, we have another case of this uh, the six-year-old boy Arturo, who was significantly helped when Dr. Hirano's therapy was was used at a much earlier point. So. You know, at at this point, we're still fairly early on in all this. There's a lot of material to digest. I'm going to stay with the story. Uh, at this point, it's raising more questions than answers, especially in the wake of uh, Charlie's mother's testimony to the court. And uh, I don't know if they're ever going to go on the record anymore about this. I, I think they probably want privacy right now. Uh, their their attorneys have spoken. The others. Oh, I, I I don't want to fail to mention this. You know, when I saw that Dr. Hirano was willing to get involved in this, and he flew to London uh, just over a week ago, spent two days there to examine Charlie. I thought, he probably doesn't know what he's in for. And sure enough, when the hospital issued its legal summary today at the end of this proceeding, they not so subtly made a target of their attack. Guess who? Dr. Michel Hirano. They're trying to lay blame on him for raising false hope and unrealistic expectations, which is which, which in the view of the hospital, has whipped up uh, the population and uh, created kind of a fake news environment. So that's crazy. Once again, yeah, it's absolutely nuts. I mean, there, what, there's not I mean, a, in the medical profession. That's hope is is all people have sometimes. There have been people who've come out of comas after you know two years. The doctor said they'd never live again. There's thousands of people who said they'd never walk again who are walking without hope. What do you have? And you know when I when I googled a while ago I just googled Charlie Gard and the three windows came up at the top all of which were attacking Dr. Hirano that was like the lead story of oh, yeah. the Charlie Gard case so 
I mean, God bless that physician. I've researched his background, read some of his studies in the scientific literature. He's not some quack working on the fringes. This man is an eminently qualified, world-renowned leader in in the field of innovative therapy for neurological diseases. And uh, yes, he was going out on a limb to saying that there's a chance that his therapy and his colleagues, he's not he's not a lone wolf out there at Columbia. He's got a whole laboratory and colleagues who publish. They've gotten something like 24 grants from the U.S. federal government to further their research. So this Here. is the situation they're facing. God help us. Really. God help us indeed. You've done a phenomenal job on this. The uh, other child, um, Arturo, Estopia, uh, Estopian, uh, July 21st article is where that's from. Uh, very similar case to baby Charlie Gard. Thank you so much for covering this and for covering you, this Doug. with the integrity that you're doing, keeping it yeah. in the forefront. Really Thank you very much. This. God bless you guys. God bless us. God bless Charlie and his parents. And God bless America. Amen to that. Peter, Peter Barry Chauka. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Give it right back. Network break. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. What Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, 6 AA batteries off the grid when other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night. Go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an ammo can. For investors, Timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. 
consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified, accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com, PreciousTimberProfits.com. Hey, welcome back. Welcome to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Uh, Michael Cutler is our guest. You, if you didn't hear his interview from March 9th of this year on our show, you've got to go back and you've got to really listen to that interview. Mr. Cutler provided his bona fides, which, which are extensive. Um, and he went into a great deal of information about immigration, immigration, the uh, illegal immigration, the alien invasion, what it's what it's all about, the globalists, and he said a few things. I, I took some notes. Um, immigration and national security are intertwined, of course, and it's it's very important to understand. So, folks listening to this, go to our March ninth. Actually, March tenth is where we isolated the interview, and I'll put this up uh, independently on on through via my Twitter feed and via. Um, uh, Hagman Report Twitter feed as well, the link to that interview, but it's just phenomenal. Before we get to, uh, Michael Cutler, I, I want to ask you, business owners out there, are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Well, posting your job in one place is not enough to find the quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect, perfect hire, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to post your job to all the top job sites. Now you can. ZipRecruiter.com. You can post your job to 100 job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with just one single click. You can find candidates in any city, any industry, nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates. Just roll right into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. We've used it. We have used it. We've tried it out. It works fabulous. You know, it's taken away the job of of sorting through the candidates, the emails, the phone calls, the hassle that comes with that. No one likes to juggle emails or phone calls to your office. You can quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person extremely fast. Find out today, folks, why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium-sized businesses. Right now, listeners to this broadcast, that's right, got, got an offer for you. Here it is. You can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. In fact, I've got a, a, a guy I went to school with, owns a business, pretty pretty big-sized business in the area, is using this service as we speak and right now. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. Listeners can post their jobs for free right now. Special offer going to by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free, free trial. One more time. Try for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. Michael Cutler joins us. Mr. Cutler, thanks for joining us today. Immigration. Wow. It's heating up, literally. Um, we had uh, a situation, a horrible situation, 
near the southern border with uh, with uh, here over the weekend. Joe, yeah, you were talking Antonio, about that, yeah. Texas. Yep. What was there? Almost forty people <clears throat> in the back of a of a non refrigerated truck. Yep. The last count I saw was nine, possibly ten dead. I'm not sure. I think they pulled one of those back. Uh, possibly ch- a couple children involved. And we have, uh, there was a, allegedly more people in the truck as there were on video at the Walmart parking lot where the truck was found. A number of people drove up to the truck picking up people. So they don't have an accurate count of how many were in the back of that container. But I, I believe this is just a small microcosm of a much bigger problem. And it is. Uh, it absolutely is. <clears throat> by the way, I, I, let me start out by thanking you for what you are doing by shedding light and providing the truth on this crisis that has an impact on just about every uh, challenge and threat that America and Americans are facing. There's been so much disinformation spewed by the mainstream media, and not just the the you know ultra to the left. I mean, they've fallen off the edge of the planet. <laughs> but don't for a heartbeat think that the conservative television programs, some of them, are better. Because this is about not left-right, but about globalism versus populism. This is about whether or not Americans should be the focus of the government of the United States or corporations that simply want an unlimited supply of cheap labor. See, understand something. When you talk about immigration, it's not just illegal immigration. Let's begin quickly with the purpose for the immigration laws in the first place. And I'm not going to make a law lesson out of this, as I did not last time also. But I want everybody, first of all, go to my website, michaelcutler.net. Let's start with that. But then look at Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182. 1182 of Title VIII are the categories of aliens to be excluded from the United States. And once you read that section of law, it will become abundantly clear, irrevocably clear, that our immigration laws have nothing to do with Latinos, have nothing to do with Muslims, have nothing to do with bigotry. It's about keeping out, first of all, aliens who have dangerous communicable diseases. Let's remember Ellis Island was a quarantine station. Aliens who have dangerous mental illness issues. Again, part of the mental health problem, something that would have been addressed at Ellis Island. Then we talk about criminals, spies, terrorists, human rights violators, war criminals, fugitives from justice, aliens who had been previously deported. And then we get to aliens who would likely become a public charge or aliens who, if they worked, would displace Americans and at least cost, if not Americans, their jobs, their wages by suppressing wages, by flooding the labor pool with cheap foreign labor. When you bring in foreign workers from third world countries who have been conditioned to believe that a reasonable paycheck, if you want to call it that, is a bowl of almost warm rice and a dollar a day. When you flood America with workers with that philosophy, that outlook, that expectation, then you turn America into a third world country because now Americans are competing with people who will work for next to nothing. And it's not just the cheap uh, labor, so to speak, from the illegals. We're seeing this with the H-1B visa program, bringing in foreign nationals who have high levels of skill, not equal to Americans, I want to be crystal clear, but nevertheless, they're computer programmers and technicians and so forth. 
They're coming to America, and then they are displacing Americans who've been doing those jobs sometimes for decades and doing it well and doing it loyally for their employers. So what we've been witnessing is the destruction of the middle class, the destruction with it of national security. And by the way, if we go back to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, there is an additional paragraph that right now is in the news, except many people don't realize it. And this is because Section F of that section of law deals with the authority of the President of the United States to keep people out of the country, aliens who, for whatever reason, pose a threat to America's best interests. Let me just quickly read the paragraph. It's very, very short. Sure. And when, and when you hear this, ask yourself how the district court and how the Supreme Court could have ruled to curtail the president's authority. And here it is. Whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or of any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, he may, by proclamation, and for such period as he shall deem necessary, suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens um, as immigrants or non-immigrants or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions that he may deem to be appropriate. And, and uh, uh, Mr. Culler, exactly, period. If I may say that you, your article uh, that references this appears at Front Page Magazine today. Yes. Um, and, and, folks, I'm holding up the... Uh, the picture of the uh, the printed article, front page mag, and uh, Michael Cutler as well, uh, michaelcutler.net. You can go there. But this uh, this is, in a nutshell, the re- uh, relevant paragraph. And once again, Section F of 8 U.S.C. 1182, inadmissible aliens. There it is, exactly what Mr. Cutler was talking about. I just want to show the audience that, yes, we do read the material. And uh, i got to tell you, this is important stuff. Go ahead, sir. Well, and, and, and so think of how this are, this has been labeled in the media. I'm trying to find the the uh, title of the article. If you have it in front of you, I'll let you read it. But um, basically, we keep hearing this being described in the media. I'm not going to you know keep reading. I want to look at the camera, look at your audience. This is not about a travel ban. The president's travel ban for Muslim-majority countries. You've been hearing this on the mainstream media programs that profess to be left-right center. doesn't matter. Presidential ban on Muslim-majority countries. That's what we've been hearing. We're talking about six countries who have a problem with terrorism. Iran is not our friend. They're our adversary. They are the biggest state sponsor of terrorism. And a point of fact, 1980, after the Iranians overran the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, immigration agents were ordered in places like New York, and I was one of them, I was an agent back then, to drop everything. Put all your casework in the safe, lock the safe. That stuff is on the back burner. It's not even on a burner. We're putting it in the refrigerator. Go out and track down every single Iranian you can locate throughout the entire United States of America. Iranians, Iranians, Iranians. That was the order of the day. Jimmy Carter was the president at the time. Carter said, we will not admit Iranians into the United States. They have seized our embassy. They have taken American hostages. In fact, one of the hostages uh, was a guy I had worked with. He was the resident security officer for the State Department at the embassy. 
So Mike and I had worked together just months earlier. Uh, it was pretty horrible to see him, um, you know, chained up and, and led out of the embassy with all the other U.S. citizens that were grabbed. And President Carter reacted appropriately. He said, we are going to prevent the entry of Iranians into the United States unless when they get to the port, they claim credible fear, political asylum, and then we're going to lock them up and we're going to check them 12 ways from Sunday to make certain that, in fact, they are making a true claim and that they aren't spies or terrorists or saboteurs. Nobody protested. Nobody screamed. The courts did not intervene. We didn't have riots at airports. President Trump saw the, the uh, terror attacks happening all over the world and happening in the United States. During the campaign, very properly he said, we're going to stop the entry of these individuals until we know what the hell is going on. That's exactly right. Now understand that the reason the president is given, the authority that he's given is twofold and most people don't realize it. And you're certainly not going to hear this in the morning news tomorrow, I promise you. Number one, immigration law enforcement is an adjunct to what the Defense Department does. I want you to stop and think about it. I work with a, with a, um, a speakers bureau in Washington, Alan Freed Associates. They do presentations to the intelligence services of the U.S. military. I'm very proud that uh, I've been doing presentations for them for well over, I think we're for 12 years now. And when I was in front of a room filled with Air Force generals and colonels, I said to them, a country unable or unwilling to secure its borders has no legitimate need for a military. You know that one of those true leaders in our nation's Air Force said a word to disagree with me. They agreed completely. Sure. The mission of the military is to keep America's enemies as far from our shores as possible. When they fail in that mission, immigration is plan B. And, you know, during the Second World War, we had the Germans and Nazis come to America in U-boats, land on beaches out on Long Island and in Florida. Yep. A bunch of them were grabbed up. Most of them were executed summarily within weeks. The rest were put in jail for very long sentences. They were here at the sabotage facilities in the United States because we were eating Great Britain, and that was when we had those liberty ships bringing munitions and other supplies to the Brits. They set up the submarine wolf packs. This was all part of a military strategy. That's right. Today, our enemies aren't coming in submarines. They're coming on airliners. I've arrested terrorists in my career. I provided testimony to the 9-11 Commission. I provided testimony to something on the order of 17 congressional hearings in the House and Senate. And it was clear to everybody on 9-11 that first and foremost, focus on this, folks, 9-11 could not have happened at all if the immigration system had done its job effectively. Think about that. In order to attack us, they had to enter. The only way they could enter was because we screwed up, and then they were able to embed themselves hide in plain sight by getting lawful status in the United States, by applying for asylum, by applying for permission to go to schools, and so forth. And by the way, uh, I don't know if you folks remember this, but six months to the day after the attacks of 9-11, to everyone's horror, it was discovered that two of the dead terrorists, Mohammed Atta, the absolute ringleader of that bunch of thugs, and uh, an another guy, al-Shehi, had been granted authorization to change their immigration status to student so they could attend, of all things, flight school. They were dead. This was six months after the attack. 
By now, everyone knew they were terrorists, but immigration and the computer company we hired this urge to privatize what sometimes shouldn't be privatized led that computer company to improperly provide authorization to do two dead terrorists to attend flight school. Think about what we're discussing here. <laughs> so we wind up educating the people who want to kill us. And, you know, on February 24th, 1998, uh, three and a half years roughly before the attacks of 9-11, no less a member of the U.S. Senate than Dianne Feinstein participated in a Senate Judiciary hearing, because she was part of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and the hearing was on foreign terrorists operating in the United States. And she had three ideas. Nobody rioted and nobody fainted. Number one, she said, we ought to reconsider the notion of the visa waiver. It was a pilot program then. I agree completely at every hearing. Every time I can, I've been raising the issue. We should have eliminated the visa waiver program because the 9-11 Commission said, first and foremost, screw-ups in the visa process enabled the terrorists to enter the United States. Ironically, I did my first congressional hearing as a witness on May 20th, 1997 four and a half years before 9-11 on the issue of visa fraud and immigration benefit fraud because of two terror attacks carried out in the United States in 1993 by men from the Middle East who had gamed the visa process and the immigration system. So she said, number one, let's rethink the visa waiver program. On 9-11, we had 26 visa waiver countries. We should have zero. Today, we have 38. How did that happen? The U.S. Chamber of Commerce with their partners the hotel, hospitality, travel, and manufacturing associations and their leadership have created something known as the Discover America Partnership. They are pumping millions upon millions upon millions of dollars into political campaigns. These are nothing more than bribes to convince the administration of past and to convince politicians today to push for a continual expansion of the visa waiver program. They are more concerned with head counts on airliners and head counts on beds and hotels than they are with body counts in the morgue. Simple explanation. Item two that Feinstein talked about. Perhaps she said we should no longer be giving visas to aliens who come from countries that sponsor terrorism. How close does that come to Trump's executive order? Nobody fainted, nobody protested. Finally, she questioned the wisdom of providing training or again, aliens from those problematic countries so that they learn to become biochemists and nuclear physicists because her concern is that we are teaching our enemy how to kill us. And by the way, uh, we have over 500,000 foreign students being admitted into the United States every year to learn the STEM curriculum, science, technology, engineering, math, China and India leading the parade. China is not our partner. I don't care that we were corrupt and stupid enough to give the most favorite trade status. They are our adversaries. Could you imagine Great Britain? Could you imagine Canada? Could you imagine Israel telling the U.S. military, stay away from our artificial island in the South China Sea, or we will take military action and then buzz our airplanes and buzz our ships? That's what China's doing. And you know where they got the technology to build up their military? right here in the United States at our universities, and then they get to send their people right. to the various companies to get tra practical training, and guess who they've been giving the technology to? North Korea. Understand what we've done to ourselves because of this desire for open borders, free trade, and lots of profits. 
And you know, when, when President Trump took office, he kept his promises. People in Washington can't believe that. People in city halls and state capitals around the country are in shock. They think of campaign promises the way that some guy that wants to spend the evening with a young lady thinks of his promises to her, and then in the morning says, what was your name again? See, <laughs> Trump, has, how's that for an image? <laughs> No, you're right. (laughs) It's a a a good analogy. Isn't it? So along comes Trump and says, well, I made a promise. I have to live by that promise. Because as a businessman, he knows that your your, your business is only as good as your word, as your reputation. Politicians have no reputation. (laughs) They've prostituted themselves. You know, think about it. Uh, for, For any amount of money, prostitutes will assume any position, no matter how uncomfortable or contrary to common sense. So will politicians. For, any, for the right price, they will assume any position, won't That's they? Right. That's right. So, you're exactly right. So, so this is what we've seen happen. So Trump comes into office and says, okay, I have the authority. It's been used before. Let's prevent the entry of aliens from seven countries until we can figure out what, we, what we're dealing with. Think of the way the news covered it, folks. The riots at the airports. The ACLU immediately sent out their lawyers. They call it lawfare. You heard of warfare? Well, they call it lawfare. They attack you not with soldiers, but with lawyers. What a nightmare scenario. I think I'd rather face soldiers. Okay? So they sent out their lawyers, and they said, we're going to get even. And the news media marched lockstep with them. And what did they say? These people were on airplanes, and the president pulled the rug out from under them. And when they landed with their passports and their visas, they were turned around at the airport. How dare he? So let me ask you a question. This is going to be interesting for you guys in the studio and for your audience. And here's the question. In 2013, and every year it's roughly the same, but I have the statistic. How many people do you think were turned around at international airports by immigration inspectors, customs and border protection inspectors? By the way, that's the job I first did when I signed on with the old INS in 71. I was an immigration inspector at Kennedy International Airport, spent four years there, spent the years in the adjudications officer doing the marriage interviews, then I became a special agent in 1975. So when you have inspectors at the airport, their job is to decide preliminarily whether or not an alien should be admitted into the United States. They have the authority to deny to deny an alien entry. So in 2013, how many people, how many aliens, aliens now, do you think were denied entry into the United States? Round yeah, figure. I'm a, six to eleven percent. You want a number or a percentage? No, what what number? What number? Okay, I remember the riots at the airport because of Trump involved a couple of hundred aliens at airports scattered across the country. Right, maybe two hundred, three hundred people. Okay, I, I'm going to say. Okay, to answer your, but to answer your question, 2013 during the entire year, I'm going to say 800. Okay, any other guesses? <laughs> I guess I was. I'll really say about off, right? uh, 350, 400. How about 200,000? That's okay. when you're deported. To, to Turn around. Turn around. Okay. Told, you don't have to, You do not meet the requirements to be admitted into the United States. Okay. That's so 200, 200. We spend four, $14 billion a year on customs and border protection. And they administer Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182. 
You have a person that comes in with a visa. We also have many people coming into the visa waiver program. The majority of people entering an international airport aren't even coming in with visas anymore because of the Chamber of Horrors, uh, Chamber of Commerce. They're coming in under the visa waiver program. Please understand what we are looking at. We are finding that at least 600,000 aliens who are lawfully admitted into the United States every year fail to leave when they're supposed to or otherwise violate the terms of their admission. This is a serious, serious problem. I want to get people to think about the magnitude. On September 11, 2001, 19 young men barely out of their teens, 19, inflicted more casualties upon the United States of America than did the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. When you make a mistake with immigration, the results can and have been nothing short of catastrophic. So the media comes out and they say, well, you know, all these people got turned around. It was a couple hundred people. During the course of routine business, many more than that are stopped every day at ports of entry across the country and told, go home. Or held for an immigration judge to make a final decision. Now, they keep on calling this the um, travel ban. Why is it that they're not really referring to this piece of legislation or the executive order, it's not legislation, by the name that it truly carries? And, and the actual name of it um, goes to the idea of preventing the entry of terrorists into the United States. That's the rough title. I don't have the actual title in front of me, but if you check the article out, you'll see it's there. But it's about keeping terrorist aliens out of the United States. Yeah. Aliens have no inherent right to enter the United States. Only citizens do. So now here's the problem that the media is confronting and the problem that the judges and corrupt politicians, to give the redundancy, are confronting. Aliens have no inherent right then to the United States. Now, citizens do. If we can get the word alien out of the conversation, then we change the dynamics of the conversation. And you know who suggested that this be done? It was no less than George Orwell. George Orwell, in 1984, um, great book. Everyone should have to read it. I made sure my kids read it, even though their schools didn't require it. I had to read it, and I said, okay, if I had to read it, you have to read it. But so here is, and I want to, if I can do this, I want to read to you the purpose of Newspeak. Newspeak, of course, was um, a, 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 um, let me just see if I can find this. Okay. Newspeak was a, an artifice, a, a construct of Orwell as part of the strategy of creating this dictatorship that 1984 was about. Newspeak was designed to control thought. Here is an, an appendix to 1984. The Orwell book has an appendix. The purpose of Newspeak was not only to provide a medium of expression for the world view and mental habits proper to the devotees of Ingsoc, Ingsoc, by the way, was the term used to describe the English Socialist Party, Ingsoc. But to make all other modes of thought impossible, it was intended that when new speak had been adopted once and for all, and old speak, that's what we speak now, forgotten, a heretical thought that is a thought diverging from the principles of Ingsoc 
should be literally unthinkable, at least so far as thought is dependent on words. Its vocabulary was so constructed as to give exact and often very subtle expression to every meaning that a party member could properly wish to express while excluding all other meanings and also the possibility of arriving at them by indirect methods. Think about that. This was done partly by the invention of new words, but chiefly by the elimination of undesirable words and by stripping such words as remained of unorthodox meanings and so far as possible of all secondary meanings whatsoever. To give a single example, the word free still existed in Newspeak, but it could only be used in such statements as this dog is free from lice or this field is free from weeds, but it could not be used in the old sense of being politically free or intellectually free since political and intellectual freedoms no longer existed even as concepts. So when you eliminate the word alien, which is why they scream, the open borders folks, oh, don't say alien. This isn't about being polite or courteous. Um, you know, the idea of political correctness initially was supposed to be to not embarrass, insult, or humiliate, which I agree with. But when you use language to obfuscate the issues, you've entered the George Orwell no, no uh, truth zone, if you will. And, and so you eliminate the word alien. What you then eliminate is the notion that there's a difference between aliens and citizens, you see. And so the term alien, for the record, and this is the law, any person not a citizen or national of the United States, it's bland, not exciting, not inflammatory, not insulting. It's like saying, you're my friend, but you're not my relative. If you knew my relatives, that's not such a bad thing, perhaps, you know? So the idea <laughs> that we're saying, you're not a citizen, isn't an insult. When I was in Europe, my first wife had uh, passed away over 30 years ago to cancer. But when we were on our honeymoon in Europe, I got involved because some guy was being arrested by the police in Amsterdam. Being a federal agent, I was in a squad where I was making arrests every day. When I saw this guy punch the cop in the face and apparently break his nose, blood went everywhere. I decked him, jumped on him. The cops pulled their guns on me, not knowing who I was or why I was involved. And I said, wait a minute, I'm a federal agent back in the United States. And their commander comes roaring up in a car, lights and sirens, you know. They, I was kind of disheveled. They grabbed me, frisked me. And then they started to apologize. And I said, look, back in America, I'm a federal agent. And the captain who showed up said, look, you might be a federal agent in the States. And I showed him my credentials. He said, but you have no authority here, Mr. Cutler. I said, well, don't you have the concept of citizen's arrest? He said, we absolutely do, just like you do. But there's a problem. He said, you know what the problem is? And it dawned on me. He said, Mr. Cutler, you're not a citizen. You're an alien. Now, I wasn't offended because he was right. I was an alien in Amsterdam. We are aliens and we leave our borders as Americans, unless we're dual nationals. So the problem with the word alien isn't that it's offensive, it's that it conveys clarity to the debate. And what's happening is that we are being exposed on a daily basis to the drumbeat of propaganda and misinformation. And this is not left-right, because corporate America licks its chops at the prospect of diminishing the wages of American workers. That's why you've always had this balance. Labor wants more money and benefits. Management doesn't. That's why you've had unions. That's why you had the labor movement and Walter Ruther and the AFL sprang up. And we can go through this whole history lesson. But when you look at the greed that we saw with the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire with those young women, mostly immigrants, 
perish because the emergency exits were blocked in these buildings. I want you to know that in the beginning of my career, I raided sweatshops in New York. And guess what? The same horrendous conditions existed. No access to these, to the, to the fire escapes. No way out. No fire escapes. These are tender boxes waiting to ignite. So it's not right or wrong. Both sides have legitimate concerns, labor and management. It's understandable. The Democrats used to back up the workers and the Republicans tended to be more supportive of the, of the business owners. It's an understandable, intelligent, rational balance. The Democrats turned their back on their traditional base. They knifed the average American working family in the back because they wanted to bring in more foreign workers, more foreign voters, um, and cheap labor for the people that are also giving them campaign contributions. And so that's when the wheels came off the wagon because suddenly nobody was standing with the average American worker until Jeff Sessions, as a Republican, think about this, wound up chairing a committee in the United States Senate, Immigration and the National Interest, sounding more like a 50s Democrat than anything, Donald Trump comes along and says, Americans first. And guess who's having a cow? The career politicians from both political parties. Tell me if I've analyzed this incorrectly in your judgment. No, this is 100%. You started out by saying this is not right versus left, this is right Right. versus wrong, this is globalist versus a populist. Yes. You know, that's the bigger picture here. And and I love, too, bringing this forward. Uh, Words mean things. They do. You know, alien means alien, citizen means citizen. Your example in Amsterdam um, yes. right on the money, you know. So, no. It's... So now, but look what they've done. That I don't want to interrupt you. I, I oh, keep that's fine. Clock, and I always run out of time. And I want to really get it. And I, I'd love to join you again in the near future oh. to keep the heat on these bugs. Yes. Because here, here's the point that needs to be understood. When you look at what the judges and even the Supreme Court said, it became focused on the right of families. Look at the headlines. We're going to allow grandparents to be with their grandchildren. Could you picture a more sympathetic situation? So everyone said, oh, my gosh, Donald Trump, that thug, wants to separate grandparents from their grandchildren. And and, and, and it goes beyond that. I mean, here's what Derek Watson, the judge from Hawaii, said. The government's definition represents the antithesis of common sense. He decided what's common sense, and now he's the final arbiter of common sense. Great, Judge. Watson said in his ruling, common sense, for instance, dictates that close family members be defined to include grandparents. Watson ruled the government cannot use a main provision of the travel ban to exclude grandparents, grandchildren, brothers-in-law, sisters-in-law, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, and cousins of persons in the United States. Not even citizens of the United States, ladies and gentlemen, persons. I suspect if you're an illegal alien and your aunt or uncle or brother-in-law wants to come here, Watson would say you have an absolute right to enter the United States. And what's being left in this converse, left out of the conversation? Why was this executive order issued in the first place? To prevent terrorists from entering the United States. And the Supreme Court talked about bona fide relationships. Okay. If you have a bona fide relationship, then, of course, uh, you know, we, we have to let you in. This is the Supreme Court majority decision. So 
Think about what that's about. And what did they include as a bona fide relationship? Initially, they talked about parents and siblings, and then they said in their initial order, believe it or not, entities. And what are the entities that the Supreme Court was talking about? Schools, employers, and people who hired people to give speeches in the United States. Stop and think. That means everybody. Because it's like when they say, well, if an alien entered the United States when he was a child, of course we can't deport them. What they're not telling you, and they should be saying, is what aliens claim to have entered as children, because you can't verify the information. When an alien runs the border, they're not entering undocumented. That word doesn't exist. It's a make-up word. It comes out of newspeak. They enter without inspection. They have trespassed. Chuck Schumer used to be my congressman, never my representative, and I'm registered as a Democrat, full disclosure, and I've had arguments with this guy. Schumer said that when people trespass on national landmarks or critical infrastructure, we need a new federal law, what else, to make this a five-year crime to deter people from trespassing. And he even cited a 16-year-old airheaded kid who climbed the World Trade Center tower that replaced the Twin Towers while it was under construction. And according to Schumer, that 16-year-old boy needs to be in jail because he trespassed. Okay, that's cool. I can get into that. However, however, when you trespass on America, you've earned the right to citizenship. The hypocrisy is mind-boggling. And so the judges have distracted everybody so we're having an argument, kind of like Bill Clinton with what's the definition of the word is. So now we're having a debate nationally about the definition of family. And what's happened while we're having this debate? We forgot why those executive orders were promulgated in the first place to prevent the entry of terrorists. So, so here's my question. Do terrorists not have family members? The Tsarnaev brothers. One brother convinced the younger brother to become a terrorist, didn't he? Let's look at what happened at San Bernardino. And by the way, the Supreme Court said that fiancés have every right to enter the United States. Wasn't it the fiancé who convinced her husband to engage in that deadly rampage that killed people who had thrown a party for them just weeks earlier because they were having a baby? That's right. So, now, what, what does a terrorist do the day before he or she engages in an attack? They likely go to their job or attend classes where they've been hiding in plain sight. But the Supreme Court, what do they do? It's a way of distracting you from the whole purpose. What do they say? Oh, wait a moment. They have a bona fide relationship with an entity in the United States. What does that have to do with keeping terrorists out of the United States? Zip. Nada, as in not a damn thing. But everyone is now focused on miserable Trump who wanted to separate grandparents from their grandchildren. Right? These poor kids who only wanted to go to school here, like this woman, Siddiqui, who went to the best schools in America, got a degree in biochemistry, and tried to kill our soldiers in Iraq by grabbing a rifle and shooting at them. We are educating terrorists so they could make weapons of mass destruction, and you have the United States Supreme Court having the unmitigated chutzpah, as we say in Brooklyn, to distract Americans 
from the true purpose of the executive order, which I suspect in large portion was uh, authored by one of my true heroes in Washington, Attorney General Jeff Sessions. I've worked with Sessions uh, to the point that he quoted me from the floor of the United States Senate, uh, was it 10 or 11 years ago, when I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Times about comprehensive immigration reform and came to refer to it as the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. I had testified before three House hearings and one Senate hearing, was so frustrated I wrote that article. Senator Sessions, who was then Senator, quoted me from the floor of the Senate on three separate days and then sent me a very nice certificate. Unlike most politicians who plagiarize, he did so with attribution. So this is the guy that's being vilified. This is the president who's being attacked by Americans, so-called liberals who should be screaming at the top of their lungs that we keep on enticing vulnerable people like those Mexicans and Guatemalans and El Salvadorans that were in the back of that truck under literally hellish conditions. Why did they come here? They're desperate. And desperate people do desperate things. But that wasn't the most desperate thing that they were planning to do. The most desperate thing that those victims of that smuggling operation were planning to do was to work for dirtbag employees who would have treated them like trash. But nobody talks about that. Why do employers intentionally hire illegal aliens? Because they are indentured servants. I had an employer call me up before it was a crime for knowingly hire an illegal alien. And when I got on the phone with this guy, I was a duty agent and everyone had to rotate through that on a periodic basis. You take the calls of the in people out in the street that want to give you information and tend to all sorts of stuff. He called me up and said, there's a factory with these six illegal aliens and they need to be arrested yesterday. He didn't sound as though he was a, with a foreign accent, whatever. Usually people who called up, called up because they came home a little early and found out that their wife or their girlfriend was entertaining the neighbor down the hall and they wanted us to arrest the guy. This guy had the information at his fingertips. He gave me the names of six aliens, their dates of birth, their addresses, and their supposed social security number. I immediately knew something was up. I had my partner listening in on the extension. We both took notes. Turned out he owned the factory. And these guys were trying to unionize. And he said, I don't care about them being illegal. Again, this is before the law was passed back in 86 with the amnesty that makes it a crime for knowingly hiring. He said, but they want to unionize and the hell with them. We're getting them out of here. I want you to come down here and pick them up like the trash they are. So we went over to the U.S. attorney. I got a search warrant for the factory. When I got there, it was the kind of factory that I was describing when we talked about the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. This was August. It was 100 degrees outside. It must have been 125 degrees inside the factory. The windows were open at the top, maybe four inches, and filth-encrusted fans were blowing full speed. The emergency exits were completely blocked. The steam presses, it was the clothing manufacturer, were going full blast. And these people were sitting there working shoulder to shoulder in narrow aisles and the dust and the filth flying everywhere. And when I walked in, he manhandled these six uh, young men from, from uh, Guatemala, El Salvador, and Mexico. Literally threw them at me as though they were sacks of uh, coffee. He was a big, you know, hulking guy, six foot three, Korean War vet. This was around 1980. And he said, here's Julio, here's Ramon, here's Jose. Get these garbage, get this garbage out of my factory. Please tell me you punched him in the mouth too. 
But go I on. was very close. All right. Oh, I, I was dying to. And then he said to me, now get out of here. I said, we're not going anywhere. I have a warrant. He said to me, you take one further step, I'll put you in the hospital. I said, please, anytime you get that urge, you go for it. I'll make you two promises. I will break some of those bones in your face, and then I'll put you in jail for assaulting me. So when you get the urge, go for it. He called up his lawyer. The lawyer said, if they've got a warrant, you got to stand back. So begrudgingly, he got out of my way. Half the factory was illegal. When I went into his office, he wouldn't allow me to. He wouldn't open the doors, but the warrant included the office, so we smashed the doors. The factory was filthy. It was 120 degrees. The factory office had three air conditioners going, big screen TV and a refrigerator, wood paneling, and thick carpeting. It looked like the executive suite at General Motors. We eventually put him out of business. But I tell you the story because that's the situation that these folks are coming to when employers intentionally hire illegal aliens. And so when I get this nonsense, oh, you don't like immigrants. I've raided enough sweatshops. I've been out there and seen this trash happen enough times. I've had women tell me that their employer demands that on the lunch hour they go in and, uh, and have a little party with their boss if they want to keep the job. And they're so desperate that even if they're married, they agree to it because it's the only way to get the paycheck. This is the kind of stuff that I saw for 30 years. Do you wonder at my rage at all of this? And then people have the unmitigated brass to say to me, oh, you must not like the immigrants. No, these people that employ them, they're showing true love for those people that they exploit and treat worse than animals. You see, this is what it's all about. But so that we can provide that supply of cheap labor, we are willing as a country to permit terrorists, gangs, and narcotics to flood across the borders. And by the way, who's the most likely victim of transnational criminals? It's the members of the ethnic immigrant communities, and not just the Latino community. Because I've arrested these bums from every flavor. Half my career, 15 years, I was with the Drug Task Force and, and DEA Intelligence. So we're talking about the Russian mob, Asian organized crime. I arrested a suspected IRA terrorist and took a gun off of him. I've arrested Italian mobsters, Israeli mobsters, Jamaican drug dealers. I got an award from the government of Japan for sending home a woman wanted for her part in a cocaine conspiracy ring. Please understand this isn't about race. Every race, every religion, every ethnicity, every nationality has the good, the bad, and the ugly. But what they've done is to make this into a racial issue. It's like this nonsense about the Latino voter. Can you imagine a more disgusting form of profiling and bigotry? All Americans want something, but the Latino voter is in a class by himself or herself because Latinos, because of their ethnicity, are different. If that isn't the definition of racism and bigotry, folks, I don't know what is. This is not about Latinos. It's not about any flavor. It's simply about making one distinction, the distinction that the Orwellian politicians and media won't make, that between immigrants, citizens, and illegal aliens. And when you provide clarity to that discussion, the argument ends. So what have they done? They have stymied any effort to have an honest conversation. And what you're doing on this program, and I thank you for it, is providing the opportunity to your viewers and your listeners to get the truth. 
Well, and, and it's because of people like like yourself. Michael Cutler is our guest, former INS agent, uh, over thirty years. Began his career in seventy one. Uh, many many uh, awards. He was in fact uh, eighteen, I guess eighteen times. He testified before uh, seventeen or eighteen times. Yeah. And even when I haven't testified, I've been asked to provide de- uh, documentation that have been made part of congressional hearings. You know, there was a hearing on the Violence Against Women's Act. That sounds so mushy. And if you dare oppose it, then the accusation is you don't care about women getting attacked. What this has turned into is an opportunity for aliens to make false claims against their spouses when the spouse realized they've been played for fools and someone married them for a green card. And it happens to women as well as men, by the way. Um, The alien can now claim that their spouse attacked them and they can then self-petition to get a green card. Think about that. And who do they generally like to do this to? The members of the military because they tend to have their applications handled more expeditiously. So we have Americans wow. being prosecuted so that some alien, we had a case involving a law firm down in Florida and um, it was a horrible story. This guy was a Vietnam era vet he had married this Russian woman. Everything was great when he met her. As soon as they got married, everything was wonderful. As soon as he signed the paperwork, everything stopped being wonderful. She didn't want to sleep with him, didn't want to have dinner with him, would come in 3 o'clock in the morning drunk, uh, her clothing disheveled, read between the lines. And he said, look, we're both adults. We're in our 50s. If you don't want to live with me, that's great. I'm just not going to allow you to get a green card because I'm stupid. He said, you can leave. We can get an annulment, and you're out of here. Within two days, she filed a complaint with the police that he had tried to stab her. And either she took a nail file or her long fingernails and and, and carved a little groove in her forearm. Because he had a carry permit and the gun was locked in a safe, that case of assault was treated as a 20-year potential felony. The police came and locked him up. And I said to the attorney, um, it took her two or three days. Has anyone else in her family done something similar? Well, he did some research and found out that her sister had done something with a guy who'd been in the Navy just a week earlier. I offered to come down and testify. She immediately withdrew her complaint and showed up at the district attorney's office with an airplane ticket and said, I'm going home. I was happy I could help him. But understand, if I hadn't intervened, this guy might still be in jail. This is how we're being victimized by our own government. You know, when I testified uh, before the Senate Judiciary Committee most recently, 2013, at the invitation of Chuck Grassley, a senator from Iowa, another real great guy, um, I said that Doris Meisner, who had been the commissioner of the Immigration Service back when I was there, said that we needed to be customer-oriented, and I agree. But the problem is she thought our customers were illegal aliens. Fool that I am, I thought that our customers were the citizens of the United States. Can you imagine something as quaint as that? <laughs> how, uh, how silly for you to think that. You know? What a fool I am. Huh? Yeah, exactly. We we all are. Yeah, th- this is ridiculous. We've got about, uh, we only have about seven minutes. This has wow. been an engaging so conversation. Continue. It's seven minutes. Uh, the floor is yours, my friend. Well, again, or five I, minutes. I, I'm sorry, five minutes. Okay, well, okay. Look, here's the bottom line. We need, as Americans, to have the courage to stand up and defend ourselves. You know, when I was a kid, if someone upset you enough, you'd have a fist fight in the schoolyard, no weapons, no nothing. Someone would go home with a black eye. Someone would go home with a bloody nose. And we learned how to stand on our own two feet. And I'm not an advocate for violence. I can only imagine what that's going to turn into in the media. 
But goodness, we've gotten to the point where we've been castrated, where we're told if someone insults you, run for help. That's not how America was built. We, it was built by people standing on their own two feet. I, I did a debate at a university, and this professor who came here from Peru actually told me, short version of the story, that my view of the world was screwed up because I have a Eurocentric view of the universe. And I got furious, and I said, to her, you racist bigot, how dare you? You know, my mom came here from Poland, ahead of the Holocaust. We're Jewish. My grandmother, for whom I was named, died in Poland uh, during the Holocaust. My dad's parents came here from Russia at the turn of the last century. So you're telling me and everyone at this debate that because of my ethnicity, because of my heritage, because of my ancestors and my parents, my view of the world is, is unfair and unreasonable. That's racism and bigotry. And she said to me, I'm sorry. And it was very funny. I said, why are you apologizing? If I inadvertently stepped on your foot and said, I'm sorry, that's reasonable. If I kicked you in the shin and knocked you on your rear end and said, I'm sorry, you would think I was a sociopath or a psychopath. I said, so tell me, did those words fall out of your mouth by accident? Is that why you're apologizing? <laughs> or are you really sorry that you're picking on the wrong guy at the wrong place on the wrong day? And, and, and I'm telling you the story because this woman probably had become conditioned and emboldened to expect that I would apologize to her after she insulted me and my family and my ancestry and my ethnic, my ethnic uh, background. We have got to learn as Americans to have the moral fortitude to stand up and hold our ground. And I'm not talking about weapons now. I'm talking about the most important weapon we have. It's our intellect and our freedom of speech that we are losing because we're not fighting for it. Uh, I worked very closely with the Israeli National Police. My very first case, which was supposed to be a nothing case, which is why this nonsense, we're only going to arrest aliens or criminal histories, is, is baloney. This guy came with an altered visa. He was in his 20s. He was actually part of the terror plot. He was here to get the money. I played a hunch. We prevented an attack in Israel. So I wound up with a very wonderful relationship with the Israeli National Police. But one day over dinner, this police general said to me, he said, Mike, we love America and Americans to us. You are our big brother. But why in the world is it that on Memorial Day in Israel, everything stops? People get out of their cars. They turn off their engines. They bow their heads either in prayer or at least in recognition of the sacrifices of our men and women in the armed forces. In America, it seems as though you guys focus on barbecues and linen sales. And that has stayed with me forever since that lunch. And here's my suggestion. You tell me what you think. How about if we start to declare Memorial Day to be a day of national debate and discourse? My degree was in communications, arts, and sciences. I had planned to teach debate on the college level had I not become a federal agent. I was undefeated in the high school and college debating teams when I went to school. Debate is the purest exercise of the First Amendment and intellectual um, capability. We need to go back to the notion of the freedom of speech, not to say what the people at the top want us to say, but to speak our minds clearly, concisely, and freely. Otherwise, we run the very real risk of losing this and this is something that every American has to do. We've got to learn to stand our ground, to be armed with the facts, and not allow anybody to push us around. And never forget that elected politicians are elected, that they are our servants, and that when they refuse to represent us, they need to be fired for insubordination.
What do you think of that? Yeah, amen to that. I mean, I, I there's nothing that that uh, I could add that it would do any justice to what you just said. We are we are within a minute of of uh, the network break, so I, I just want to say that the information you've provided to to, to our audience is invaluable. And what we need to do uh, now, alien must be. Uh, well, put it back in the conversation. Well, that's people, right. Look, look. The the Associated Press has a style book, and they're telling reporters what language they can use, what words are acceptable. I've got and it in my office. Alien, I don't know what is. Yeah, I've, I've got I've got that in my office, and, and you're you're absolutely correct. We need to speak the language that uh, reflects and the if actual. You offend somebody, smile. Smile. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Michael Cutler is our guest. I just, you know what? Please come back and continue because you have made, you're making a difference in, in the conversation. I, I, I've gotten so many emails since you've been here. Joe has, we have at the, here at the studio. Um, we are going to really spread this interview far and wide. MichaelCutler.net is your, is his website. Will you, will you come back again with us? Absolutely, and if you know speaking opportunities, I've been all over the United States. That is the antidote to the news blackout by the mainstream media, and what you do is certainly an antidote to that nonsense. So I thank you for all of your hard work and your dedication to the First Amendment. So I will absolutely come back, invite me, and I'll be there for you. All right, sir. God bless you. Thank you so much. All right. Michael Cutler, michaelcutler.net, former INS agent, knows his stuff. Folks, network break. Give us two minutes. Right back. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest-yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high-net-worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. 
You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. At HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. The Hagman and Hagman Report. Our next guest, I'm going to tell you something. Um, I've got her bio right here. And let me tell you, um, I'm not even sure I can, I'm not even sure I'm going to read it. Uh, I'll just, actually, I'm going to use this one. You know what? I'm not going to read it because let me just tell you, we, we have a, a, a genius with us. Uh, her name, Dr. Tori Lindemann, and uh, you can read about her. In fact, it's in her program description. A little bit about her, you could, it's on Infogram, Tori Moross Lindemann. Uh, she's also on LinkedIn. She's got, uh, her background is absolutely incredible. And I mean that in the literal sense of the word. Um, she was born in 1978 to, uh, in New York City to Greek immigrants. Um, actually, her father was a furrier and restaurateur, uh, and now um, her mother was a bank manager. By the way, um, she's going to. In fact, we're going to let her tell you about her background because there's parts of the background that you well, know, we spoke earlier today. She was kind enough to take my call, and we spoke earlier today, and. Uh, I think we'll just let her talk about some parts of the background of her background. But with us is Dr. Tori Lindemann. Uh, Tori, thanks. Welcome to the Hagman Reporter on this topic of immigration. Yes, and thank you so much for having me. I've been um, following your show myself uh, because, unfortunately, uh, the best conversations are actually done on the darknet on IRC. Um, and, and now, I guess. Um, uh, as of 2015, uh, it's been more, uh, uh, I would say, socially acceptable to put out facts <laughs> uh-huh. because um, facts aren't um, are, are a problem because basically our news and any information that we have access to is mixed with fiction. So, you know, that's the best way to push something. Um, yep. About me, yeah. Uh, my parents were both immigrants. My father actually came to the United States when he was 13 on a boat, um, and illegally, uh, went back to Greece and came back legally, um, was a furrier by trade, um, 
and met my mother in Greece. Obviously, they were from the same town. They got married, and then she migrated over. Both of them became American citizens. Uh, so I'm your typical Greek-American um, and if anyone knows what Greek Americans are like, from New York especially, we're a special type of breed. <laughs> um, I'm I'm extremely proud of my culture and heritage, but uh, you know I'm more proud for the country that I live in, which is uh, you know the only one in the world that is such a big melting pot. Um, but in the topic of immigration, this is where we have issues. But before I delve into that, um, yeah, uh, myself, I'm, I was a little bit smarter when I was a kid, I would say. I was very good at, um, pretty much understanding, uh, patterns. Uh, when I was, um, in elementary school, I was part of, um, this gifted program because, uh, they used to give IQ tests randomly to children back then to identify potential bright students, I guess. Um, so I was actually attending high school classes as early as the first grade for math. Um, not so much because I was a great mathematician, but because I was great at pattern recognition. Um, I actually finished um, a program with John Hopkins in 1991, uh, I think was my certificate, or 92. Um, I actually had a full ride scholarship, but I couldn't go until I was 17. And... Um, you know, after I finished high school, uh, at the age of 14, I went to Greece to hang out with my grandparents, and I actually enrolled myself in high school there, too, because I was kind of bored. Um, and I was always a language person. By the age of um, 15, I was already speaking about four languages, reading and writing them, because uh, I found that fun. Um, I'm your typical nerd. <laughs> and um, I don't think typical fits in anywhere in your resume, in your background, i got to tell you. You'll be surprised. There's a lot of us out there. I guess we don't. Uh, a lot of people like me out there that are passionate about what they do. I was so impressed today with Donald Trump using my most favorite phrase that I say, a genius is not someone who just has a high IQ or great grades, as one would say in layman terms, um, it's a person that works and it doesn't feel like work. You know, and that, that's he, so true, isn't it? Yes. Yes. And he said that today to the Boy Scouts. I was so proud that he's our president just with the, um, the inspiration that he was giving them and the advice that I got so late in my life. Uh, he gave it to them open-handedly, obviously, because he is a successful man, and a lot of people don't know this about Trump, but he's also mensed. Um, right. and, and, and but you know, the media sadly depicts him otherwise. In fact, the opposite of that, uh, of course, our, our guest is Dr. Tori Lindemann, uh, Mensa uh, qualified, as well as Donald Trump. You know, and, and look how he's portrayed in the media. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead and continue. No, not at all, not at all. And you know, there's there's men says they're porn stars too. Believe it or uh, not. True. Yes. Um. Yeah. You know, we just don't go on lists. We prefer not to, um, or we just leave it out. It's um, it's something that I that I push because it doesn't mean that I'm smart. Kesha's a Mensa too. You know, the singer. Um. It's not. It doesn't mean that I'm better than you. It just means that I can do something in a different way. 
than someone else. Kind of like what they've been trying to do with Common Core, but failed miserably. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, so basically uh, I'll let you guys understand. I, I went through the military as a linguist and a cultural officer. Basically my job was to um, interpret and manage interpreters and um, observe foreign interpreters. Um, I've been uh, very, very um, blessed with uh, travel all my life, and that's uh, from a very young age because of my parents, too. Um, <clears throat> every summer, you know, once school was out, I'd be on a plane by myself headed off to Europe uh, so they could get rid of me for the summer. <laughs> um, but um, I can say one thing. Uh, what What... I see reflecting back from a young age when joining the military, and I'd like to share it with a few people uh, because it's a little bit, huh? Now that I say it, but at the time, uh, I was—I didn't even—it just flew over my head. Um, I was at, in Athens, Greece, and I was attending the University of Indianapolis there and taking some courses because I had nothing to do. And I went to the American Embassy to renew my passport because, you know, um, under 18, every five years it expires, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I went to renew my passport and handed in the documentation. I was just waiting in the waiting room when a gentleman in uniform approached me and started talking to me and was asking me if I ever thought of joining the military or anything like that. And I was kind of impressed, you know. Um, I, I felt uh, flattered as a little kid, you know, I'm like 16, that someone with his ribbons, he was fully decorated. I mean, he could have had ribbons on his forehead. That's how many he had. Wow. You know, he's sitting there talking to me, and, you know, he's like, so you speak Greek. I see that you were helping, you know, our workers out with the Greeks here. And I was like, yeah, it's... And he's like, what else do you speak, et cetera. So we got um, the conversation going, and within like a few minutes, I was in a little office on the side room and taking um, the crypto part of the ASVAB that they now don't pretty much give out. <laughs> and next thing you know, I have documents in my hand for my parents to sign, and I'm joining the Navy. <laughs> yeah, and folks, th just think about what you just said, what uh, uh, Tori just said. Think about that. Go back and listen to that. And think about that. Go ahead, Tori. This is fascinating. Yeah, so I just wanted people to see where I'm coming from with the things that I will say in regards to immigration. Um, so for me at that time, I just thought, oh, maybe he thought, you know, my orange patent high, you know, platform trainers attracted him. I don't know. I was 16. Um, but now looking back on it, it was kind of weird, right? Because next thing you know, you know, I have these documents because I'm under 17, 18, um, but 17, I think it was the the age then, uh, to be allowed to get a waiver from my parents who I tricked to sign, by the way. <laughs> I tricked. My father was a great businessman, my best friend, God rest his soul. Um, and, and um, you know, he could read, but if he was in a hurry... He's not really going to pay attention. Uh, same thing with my mother. I actually use a carbon copy on that one. So I literally did. Um, so I tricked my parents into signing it. And the next thing you know, I'm being shipped out to Frankfurt, Germany, where I'm uh, undergoing MEPS and a full ASVAB. And then, you know, I'm having someone pitch me uh, 
uh, uh, jobs, but they already knew what they wanted to give me. It's not like, I mean, looking back on it, they made me feel like I picked it, but I didn't. So, um, this is not, this is not your typical stuff, folks. Uh, By the way, these acronyms, people will know what they are. The right people will know what they are as well. I mean, right, because, Yes, they, you know, they were throwing, you know, certain positions and I kind of thought, ooh, you know, I'd like to be an OS or an EW. They were like, no, maybe you want to be this. And I was like, why? Yeah, because you'll wear civilian clothes, you'll be in embassies, you'll use your languages and we'll train you in more. And they made it very attractive. I kind of felt like it was James Bonzi, you know, at 16. Mm-hmm. You get an offer like that, you're like, hey, yeah, traveling around the world, not having to wear uniforms all the time. I kind of like that. And um, I swore in. And, off I and, 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 and folks, you getting this? I mean, what what she just said, what Tori just said, James Bonzi. Okay, are we on the yeah. same page now, everybody? Go ahead, Tori. So, um, so basically, that was how I entered um, into the military. I, um, looking back, the things that I've seen and observed uh, throughout my career, either pertaining within the work environment or kind of directly or indirectly, I could say are troublesome for people to um, absorb uh, and very nonlinear, I would say. Um, but even though the horrors and the joys came, I would. I, I I never regret it. I'd do it again because I wouldn't be who I am today. Um, so that's that being said, done. Um, after my military career, uh, I decided to get into medicine, not to make money, but to actually make a difference. Um, my father had passed away from osteosarcoma in 2007 during one of um, my deployments and um, it was very hard for me so and that's basically what I did I tried to make a difference and I invented these little intravenous bubbles Um, it's pretty much I'm making no money I owe no one anything I don't care if they don't let me publish because I'm not selling to pharma Um, but I'm very bullheaded on that I'd prefer to do good and this is why I did a 360 you know in my 30s and went into medical school and did further training Uh, I I didn't do it for me I I did it for others Mm -hmm. and um, I think that's what we all lack and that's why I feel like I don't do work I do a hundred things million different things a day and it doesn't really feel like work because I enjoy it I'm helping someone, um, you know, an immigrant that is going to swear in or someone that wants to extend their visa or a patient, um, you know, that's ill. We're not talking about the kids that are in my cohorts of my lab. I'm saying separately to that or, you know, through my nonprofit organization where I help other Greek Americans. Um, These all things are exactly what I was, like I said before, excited that Trump pushed. Do something that makes you happy or that makes you feel fulfilled. And every day when you wake up in the morning, you look forward to it. Absolutely. And that's key. Yeah. Um, so um, I don't know how to follow. Well, uh, <laughs> that really lays a great foundation for who you are. I, I, I think that now, um, I, I, boy, I don't, I don't know. People should not really have any any questions about about your your character your integrity your intent your experience and your knowledge and intellect i think you covered all that pretty well so uh and by the way folks uh, 
Tori's going to be back with us on Wednesday uh, as well to talk about uh, what are we talking about on Wednesday, Tori? Healthcare, Healthcare. Medicare, Obamacare, right. and traps that they've set up for our over 65 population. That's right. That's right. Patient scores. Okay. All right. But but today uh, the the primary topic is in, uh, immigration, yes. illegal. And you heard Michael Cutler, I believe at least uh, some of what he was talking about. But you've got a, your own perspective based on your experience and your research and such. I, let's, I mean, let's just get started with that. My goodness, there's just yeah, so much so there. I, I don't. I, I want people to understand that. Um, yes, Mr. Cutler, I admire him for being in the most important yet psychologically toiling position within Homeland Security, INS, USCIS. I mean, that position of interviewing, accepting, approving. For me, having seen it overseas, how it practices, and even how we hired our non-American interpreters, is um, is a very corruptible position, because um, anyone that has a job in INS, it tests their loyalty to their country, and they're constantly in an environment of temptation. And I'm pretty sure if Mr. Cutler was here, he'd be like, yes, 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 um, <laughs> because these are people that, you know, they're not just numbers. These are people. Right. And um, they have stories. Yep. And we are human. And also, not only on that end where we sympathize, but there's the side of the greed where you can fall into non-legal programs <laughs> to help immigrants come in. Um, and what he was saying about people being deported at the door, um, I can say because I am one of the few uh, cleared for the language of Greek here um, in the United States, when they're at the airport and they're denied entry when coming, I'm usually the interpreter telling them that. Okay. And um, and that's actually increased on people that are overstaying visas. Um, you know, our, our, our immigration problem, our, let's say, illegal alien problem um, is not just... Mexicans, okay? Um, I mean, the border is a problem because it just opens up, you know, to anybody coming in. Right. It's not just South Americans and Mexicans, okay? It's anybody because they have looser entry rules. But um, there's people that come in here with these, you know, visas um, that are three months, six months, and they overstay. Completely overstay. This is this has always been a problem, is my understanding, right? What would Mr. Keller say? Six hundred thousand a year, eight hundred thousand, and then some, probably, yeah. and then some, probably. And you know, with the stimulus that Obama put out of, you know, giving people a three thousand dollars stimulus to hire in illegal aliens for work in 2015 was just what? Like, who does that? Right. But um. In regards to immigration, I wanted to tell people this is, like I said, the best discussions are done on the Darknet's IRC. Now, it's a bunch of yeah. What do you mean? Okay, because explain to people what you mean. Uh, yeah. I, I know what you mean. But I've never been on the dark web myself. I know he has. Yeah, explain to people if you don't mind what. what well, what there's certain. Is. Yeah, there's certain chat rooms where people get together and they talk because there nobody can monitor. Your information, um, you know. Obviously, I use VPNs and things like that when I tweet because I'm very sassy <laughs> online um, and I'm very vocal. Uh, but um, everything we do, even putting on our laundry, is monitored. Okay, we should just take that as fact. That violation happened ages and decades ago. 
It's not going to change anytime soon. Um, but on the dark net, we get because nobody can see what we're talking about. This is why we have those, you know, um, pedophilia rings, etc. Because those aren't monitored. That's an area where you can actually stay and know that no one's looking and you can speak freely, exchange information freely. Um, uh, we have a certain group of Mensas internationally that we get together and we discuss things and um, and even um, try to uh, find answers like what's the end game here? What are they doing with this NWO agenda, right? right? It's constant debate. But I'll tell you what immigration is, okay? Immigration is just a... The immigration laws that we had that changed after the 1930s were done to legalize human trafficking. I don't think people realize just how, you know, first we had slaves. Obviously, in the United States, we would bring people that look different to us because it's, 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 it's science. When something looks different than you, you're scared of it or you don't acknowledge it as something to be like you. Right. I, I, yeah. So, yeah. And so that's a normal reaction to be able to utilize another human being that looks different as a slave because you can dehumanize them easily if they don't look exactly like you. They're not Caucasian or whatever. I mean, this is, this is something that we see throughout history. Mm-hmm. Um, though, having said that, on a parenthesis on this, um, we have to understand that history is a very linear way of telling us what went on. But mathematically, human immigration and evolution is not linear. It's extremely chaotic. So when we sit on the darknet trying to find a math problem to a solution, we actually try to apply human immigration um, and we use it as a human system and acknowledge people as nodes to try to figure out a way to mathematically calculate how history doesn't match up with the evolution, not evolution like we came from Homo sapien, Erectus, etc., and going on. We're talking evolution in regards to civilization and what we are being told because we weren't there. We just have a book and we have to take their word for it, right? Exactly. Right. That's what history is. So it's not compatible because humans are so chaotic in the way they move if you look at them as nodes. And history is linear because our brains are wired to only understand linear paths. So why I say this is what I want everyone to understand, you need to take everything with a grain of salt. And I want you to understand this human trafficking is not something recent. Uh, This um, human trafficking of children and adults has been going on from when our country was founded. And that's because they utilized the slaves, they saw the slaves are humans, they couldn't dehumanize them anymore, so they just accepted the fact of using immigrants. But how do you get the immigrants on boats without chains and getting, you know, as we were becoming more civilized, behavior is hanging people in the square or, you know, taking their guts out like they used to was not acceptable. And shackling a woman and making her, you know, mop the floor while you're on it was not acceptable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because as we mature as a, as a civilization and we advance technologically, uh, we, we understand, we become smarter and we realize that we need to sympathize with everything. This is why we have tree hugger movements and stuff like that. Um, but 
our immigration policies, keep in mind, human trafficking as a law wasn't done till like recently in the thousands, two thousands. Before that, they were using, um, what is that? Uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember. 1930s, um, mm. it was the 1930s, uh, law for, um, uh, for bringing in goods. So people were actually being identified. What is that? It's, it's, it's a commodity, uh, for, um, it was like not bringing labored goods from outside of the country in the 1930s. So right. that's how they used to deal with human trafficking under that law when they'd get caught. Right. Okay. Okay. Just so people understand that people were still property. So human trafficking has been around, but it's embedded in the high societies. I mean, there was cases like in the tens and the thirties in Boston. What was it? Um, uh, you know, the Rosewood patients, as if you've ever heard of that case where they would take, you know, those less fortunate, uh, mentally inhibited people, women, and make them prostitutes, slaves, and maids to high society. Right. And we've, we've seen this happen over and over and over again in different uh, circumstances, different venues, different classes and such. But you're right. Yes. Correct. And this is why when the immigration wave started to come in the 1930s, boom. Right. They could sweep them under, um, institutionalize them, take them. No one would know. You know, it, it's kind of like you bring 20, we take two in the high society, if I can say. So it was a legal way of human trafficking. So immigration was always like that. Now, another thing we need to realize is that the laws have evolved um, to, uh, I would say, legitimize human trafficking in many ways, um, but also cutting out our sovereignty too. So it's kind of bifurcated here because in the beginning of the 20th century, we were working on bringing in more people to do work. Right. We needed these immigrants to do this work we didn't want to do. But then in the later half, we not, we, we wanted to release those borders now that we had control. And I'm, me is not me, we. It means the elitist we. Okay. Mm -hmm. They needed to release those borders and they have conditioned people to the point where, you know, they're not careful when it comes to sovereignty. Sovereignty is the only, it's, it's, it's a concept that is extremely important for any nation is sovereignty and eradicating borders as we've been doing for the past 70 years slowly. So that way we accept it. Right. Uh, allows for full control to whoever was in control in the first place. And, and there it is, really, right there. Whoever was in control in the first place. And that slow change uh, of, of eroding our national identity. As Michael Savage says, borders langu language and culture. And this is done at the highest of levels. And it's done intentionally, but over a period of time, people can they can see the big picture, the the long term plan, as you as you pointed out, very very important. Good. It is, it is, it is. It, you have to see it from a macroscopic view, right? And it's not just happening in the United States. In Europe, we're seeing it a lot more, only because the wars that we've engaged in in the Middle East have been the catalyst to speed up the process. I mean, I can tell you from traveling in Europe from a little kid, it's been changing year by year. You know, um, the demographics have changed. Um, the borders were being erased. I, for one, 
who, you know, am not born in Greece, uh, was more upset that they got rid of the drachmas than normal Greeks were because they were conditioned for it. It's interesting. And, and, and yeah, it, that, that, it's, it's interesting. Um, yes. I'm not sure what that, what would that, what would that tell, tell the, what would that tell an American, basically? It, being, living it is, is you're you're being conditioned as if, except if you were away from it, as an observer, you would be more shocked, perhaps, as opposed to living it. Right, but even in America, we see it. I mean, let's be honest, and I'm going to say this, and people may disagree or not, but if Hillary Clinton was elected president, and it's now what, um, July 24th, by now there would be no Syria, and we will right. have begun the process of creating the new North American Union currency. And so. yeah, exactly. And and I'm glad you mentioned that because that's exactly you know, we we lose sight of that 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 larger picture of what would have happened if. And I think that's so important for people to really get back to and and, and look at that that horrifying. Yes, no, no, no. And and I saw the North American currency coming way before Obama and Trudeau and, you know, the Mexican presidents got together and started enjoying the idea and talking about these one-sided trade agreements that would eventually force us to accept it because it would actually correct what they've done so far in our economy. How did I see it? Medicine. Because the one thing that um, is a variable when, when, when we as humans are looked at as a commodity, like I said, as a mathematical equation, your health is something that is observed first. Because you can't have your worker or your slave or whatever be sick. You need their hands. So what I noticed was that in 2008, they were forcing an implementation of sharing medical data worldwide mm-hmm. on um, and bringing all this data to the cloud. But for me, it was more following the money of where they were putting that exchange of information and where it was being pulled, um, either through the World Health Organization or our CDC. And that kind of cued it. All of our, uh, you know, most of our pharmaceuticals are American but produced in Mexico. All of our vaccines are American but produced in Canada. And, but they're both governed with U.S. laws, even though they're in other countries. How do you create that law? So there were a lot of weird, nonsensical things appearing in healthcare because, again, we're the commodity, the humans. So what do you need to make sure that the human is available? Sure. Um, and uh, circling back to that, um, you know, I say it, and I'm proud to say it, and most of the people that know me say um, that I am tooting it. I was uh, fired from the CDC on my first internship there um, because I actually did my job. (laughs) Um, Again, following the money, uh, after I was working on a portion of the Affordable Care Act in regards to non-English speakers, because I advocate for our legal aliens um, to have uh, quality access to health care through using actual uh, medical professionals as interpreters. I mean... You know, you can learn a second language as well as you want. You can't speak health in it, okay? Um, 
So while I was doing that, I got the opportunity to get into uh, the vaccination program. Mm. I was fired six months into it when I thought I did a great job. Um, I was looking into the flu vaccines and I um, made my recommendations, you know, obviously being so low on the on the board in regards to scientific background, they just assumed that I, I would just do a kind of very broad but not in-depth report. Right. Like everyone else. And I told them the uh, vectors that we're using, which are porcine cells, the porcine cells, which are pork, would, um, uh, the way they were putting um, retroviral um, DNA, um, just retroviral products, let's just say, and other molecular, oh, how do I say this without? <laughs> let's just say with other stuff that can uh-huh. rewrite your DNA. How's that? Okay. Um, I said that that would make us, you know, prone to getting zonic, you know, diseases. And I said, I don't recommend us using pork cells in this batch of flu vaccine. This is in 2008. Okay. And when I submitted the report, I was told, great job. Wow. How'd you do that? And, you know, I actually was thorough. And then the next Monday when I went to the office, uh, there was a security guard with a box waiting for me and said, thank you very much. Um, And, and, And folks, think about what she just said. Hey, great job. How'd you figure that out? How did you figure? Goodbye. There's, there's your stuff. And yeah, we're going to escort you out of the building. CD and that six. was the last time they published it. Yeah. yeah. They never published vaccination contents after that year. Okay. So my report was actually used. Um, so yeah, then we saw an outbreak in what? Pig flu. Because we used pork cells. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that makes me wonder too. Um, and we're using it a lot on immigrants too. Our Im- immigrants are the population that's targeted for most of these experimental medical. It's kind of like a white coat project that they had in the fifties that they did with military. Yeah, yeah. Because okay. I want everyone that's listening to remember the last time they went to the hospital and got themselves a tetanus shot, and. Remember, just like recently though, in the past four years, remember how they pushed the triple shot, not just the tetanus. They wanted to give you whooping cough and some, you know, and they pushed it and you accept it. But now I want you to sit down and remember how many times your nurse scanned a barcode on that actual vaccine before she gave it to you. Because this is how we separate cohorts. When you do an experiment, need to track every single information and put it on every single database. I want you guys to be very aware for those taking your children, yourselves, or your parents. Just pay attention to how many times they're going to hand scan it if you're in the ER or have it done through the computer before they give it to you. It's very important that people have their eyes open. Again, targets are immigrants the most because all of them are given a, you know, round of specific types when they come in, right? Okay. My husband is an immigrant. He's a legal immigrant from the United Kingdom. And when he came, he had to, you know, do the whole chest x-ray thing and get a bunch of vaccinations. Okay. So what are you saying here? And I know now, now folks, um, you do. our guest is under agreements. 
the contracts, contractual agreements. So we have to be kind of careful. But what are you saying here? What, what's what's taking? What's really going on here? So we have a country that used slaves, was reprimanded for using slaves, decided to increase immigration and then make it legal. And when so that's one arm because you have to remember there's multiple variables here. Okay? Those who started the control, right? Right. So that's one arm of it. Because remember, how do you control your commodity? Through health. If they're healthy, they work. If you don't need them, then you don't need them healthy. So then we have the other arm that's trying to control health. Mm. We have to be very careful, especially... Okay. Wow. Everybody, everybody talks about Obamacare, right? Obamacare did this. Obamacare wasn't the first time they pushed to create a universal health care system, guys. Can you guys remember when the first time we saw Obamacare with another name? Yeah, it was in the 90s with Hillary Care. Yes, thank you. Someone who says it. I tweeted that and people were like, you don't know what you're talking about. I was thinking, darn, so many uninformed people. Hillary Clinton did. And before that, Nixon tried it. Absolutely. And they started to create the foundations for these legislations on how to control people's health. Right, right. We, and, and I just, you know what, I, let me just stop you right there. Folks, understand what our guest, Dr. Tori Lindemann, is talking about. This is... This is this is for all the marbles. This is the big picture for crying out loud. Um, if you have to go back and listen, but uh, I just had to really throw that punch There's in two there. arms, right? Immigration, because it that's the that's, key point. We need the yeah. immigration to then have the other controller because the immigration is the commodity. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Go go, go ahead, ma'am. I, I'm sorry. I, I, uh, it, it looks like the looks like we're, we're video froze. We get her back. So got twenty. Do you see minutes. this glass? Yeah, he said. Do you see this glass? And I said yes. He goes, one drop is what makes it spill over. So no matter how insignificant or small you feel in this world, you could be that one drop, and just try to do your best. And I believe that our country is full of amazing people, because again, it's only a handful of people that have done this whole chain going down creating these laws. Again, Nixon, we're going Eisenhower, I can go farther back. Okay? This is why they knocked Kennedy out. Right. Okay? And we also need to remember that every single United States president is related, except for that Dutch guy and Trump. Remember that. Even Obama, yes, Obama, is related to every single, genetically related to every single president before him. Can you guys let that sink in? Isn't it weird how us tinfoil hatters are now actually the ones with truth? Because what what was it that the devil will ridicule you to make you not believe he's there so that he can control you? That's right. So, you know, this is what we're going at. People with facts are tinfoil hatters. I mean, some of us are good at articulating things. Others aren't. But we're still saying the same thing. Yes. Again, look at it. We've got the immigration, the commodity coming in. And then we have the control coming in. And we're going all the way back to Eisenhower, who started it all. 
Okay. And trickling down. Hillary failed Hillary Care. Guys, it was the same thing as Obamacare. She failed miserably. And I remember, I was a kid, but I was paying attention. I even remember turning around to my mom and saying, is this, like, not what they have in the Soviet Union? Didn't we just make them, like, stop doing that? Why are we doing it? And she was like, why are you even bothering with this? But it was kind of like I was baffled. Like, But to what end, Tori, to what end here? Now, I asked that question with full knowledge of what you're going to say and, and what we've been talking, what you've been talking about. I have been listening. But at the end of the day here, when you talk about immigration, illegal and otherwise, and, and how it overlaps into health care, and you're coming back on Wednesday to join us about health care, to what end here are we talking about? We're talking about total global control, total population control, are we not? I mean, Exactly. I mean, yeah. they've already started in countries that have foundations that are eons old. Right. It, we're the last one standing because they've conditioned us in a way. This is why they can't fathom that Donald Trump became president because this is the only election we actually voted in. <laughs> this is the only election because they couldn't rig it well enough. They cheated and they still lost. So them saying, oh, she had 60-some million and Trump had 60-some No, I think Trump had like 200 million and she had like five. Okay. I'm, I'm just saying they cheated hardcore. This is why they're not providing the voter records. And mind you, obviously through discussion, through the our you know darknet IRC, um, I had an aha moment. I know why we have so many illegal aliens and legal aliens voting. And I think I sent you the link. Did you get it with my husband's stuff? Yes. Yes. So so apparently voter rolls are collated through our DMV. The DMV has the responsibility, but it's not enforced by law by right. states. It's, it's privy to state because every um, uh, Department of Motor Vehicles of every state uh, carries certain information. Your um, driver's license could have a Social Security number, and it might not. You know, everyone has their own state regulations. But one thing that they're supposed to be doing and they're not doing is indicating if you're a citizen or not. So what happens is you get these packed voter rolls with people that are legal immigrants, right, green card holders. And illegal immigrants, because now we're giving them driver's licenses, too. So, Motor voter, by the way. Just just want to remind everybody. Go ahead. Yeah, so I actually brought that to many attorney general. You know, uh, I made it aware to them because last year during the elections, I kind of wanted to just check, you know, is this voter fraud thing for real? Like, because they were talking about how you know, oh, Hillary's going to hack the election to win, right? Because that was the idea, if we all remember. It was never that the Russians are helping Trump. It was that the DNC will hack it because they just ousted Bernie. They, like, burned, like, 8 million of his votes, if you remember. Oh, yeah. The the whole room was, like, gone. So they're obviously capable of changing my vote, right? Right. So I was like, let me just check. So I put my husband's name in the states that we lived in and then just randomly in other states, right? Right. Some of the states requested date of birth and name. Others just requested social security number and name or just last name and social. And I sent you that link. Yep. My husband was not only registered to vote, but he was registered as a Democrat. Just let that sink in. And, and how many, just curious, how many states? It was 15 altogether, but mm. the thing is I couldn't cross-reference because they wanted driver's license so he would pop up. Sure. But in order to complain, I needed to give a driver's license number, which I didn't. But I'm assuming that these identities have been created already. 
So they're using our legal immigrants that are not exercising their right to vote as voters and registering them at the party that, of their choice, of course, which is the DNC. Right, which if, if you just, folks, uh, just let that, you can show them the the thing because I yeah. have it on there. Um, it was circulating on Reddit. I had put it up, and then other people were stealing it and putting it up. I had tweeted it to news networks. I had called all the state's attorneys to make sure that they knew that my husband has never voted because, you know, when he renews his green card, that's automatic deportation. It if is. you are a resident alien and you vote, you're out. The minute you go for application, the first thing they check is, has he voted? That's the first thing we check. So Obama urging illegal immigrants to vote before the election and then doubling down and saying, oh, it's not like, you know, we go through the voter rolls and look for uh, people who aren't citizens. You know, you have nothing to worry about. That wasn't even true. Well, they thought they won. Right. They thought they had it in the bag because they had fudged it enough based on previous statistics. Okay, and it's almost like um, the uh, the mob running a club as a business, doing what you're saying, you know, with the, with the kind of cooking the books, and uh, uh, but they are, and then ownership changes, and the records are left there. The only, the only thing left to do is burn the place down. I mean, to get rid of the evidence. But but go ahead. Yeah, and that's what they're doing now. Right. Exactly what they're doing now, but unfortunately for them. I, Here's the thing. Our president right now has his work cut out for him because we're talking about a deep state that everyone keeps saying deep state that goes back to Eisenhower. Correct. These foundations, these laws, these ways, these these um, ideas have been slowly stacked throughout the decades. Like I said, Hillary Clinton, right? Clinton care. She failed. People wouldn't buy it, right? Because then there was some independent media. And people were just off the Reagan train, you know, (laughs) the Bush train. And so, you know, um, they didn't buy it. But what did Bill Clinton do? He laid the laws down to make Obamacare happen. He he wrote the laws that said, you know, you um, cannot sue a pharmaceutical company if you get damage from vaccines. Like, why would you do that? If they're safe for you and you force us to have them, we should be able to ask for remedy if we get injured. Right. So keep that in mind. You know, there's a lot of people, oh, this, this, and no, this is beyond what you can see. Even the people that are around Trump that are like, oh, yes, Mr. Trump, President Trump is the best. And, you know, there's a few of them. And I, you know, they're the snakes that are smiling. Um, there's a lot of them around him and he's starting to shed them quickly. And, you know. And, We're going to see a lot of people like Kid Rock around him soon. Yeah, well, exactly. And and, and this is wh- okay. This is where um, the, and just as an aside, I talked about this on my on my own show this morning. Uh, this is where I think the uh, Scaramucci Spicer uh, e- entrance and exit kind of comes into play. But but that's uh, I, I reference that only because what he, what, I, what I see happening there is out with the Wash Washington D.C. Beltway. And in with the inner circle New York uh, element. He's also much better at his job than Spicer. Well, it, it, yeah, but it's more about allegiance and protection than it is about uh, performance. But that's just my belief. But how that relates to what you're talking about, um, 
Oh, my goodness. This is look, so deep. Look, the thing is that Sessions is is actually a very confusing individual. <laughs> he is <laughs> going you. after the gravy train. Yeah. Okay? He's targeting these human trafficking networks. Right? He's put out three new laws. Yep. We see a lot of arrests every day. So he's a little bit confusing, and I don't have any firsthand knowledge. And but, what people tell me I don't take is, you know, face value anyway. But, but, but he's confusing. Let's see. Okay. And and if I can just extend this conversation, because we didn't script this out, but I'm going to extend this conversation. You're talking about human trafficking. Uh, I, it's my belief that human trafficking, like we saw um, in, in the, the – uh, the despicable uh, conditions bringing the, the 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 deaths of nine plus people at Walmart parking lot in a truck today hand in hand with that is the human sex trafficking rat lines these sex trafficking of children and that brings to mind Pedagate which also is related to Pizzagate which is oh of course nothing but just this nothing conspiracy that people just imagine but but really you, what you're saying, if I'm, if I'm hearing this correctly, Pizzagate is really one element of a larger mosaic, which involves um, <laughs> human trafficking. Um, it's all it, bundled, yes. Yeah, and everything's interconnected. It's like it's like gears within gears within gears. But Sessions, see, you, since you brought up Sessions, people are asking, well, why aren't people like uh, uh, Podesta et al. doing perp walks? Why isn't there? Why aren't there investigations taking place? Um, at that, uh, you know, low hanging fruit, not a problem. The bigger perp walks, non-existent. Why? Well, I'll speak from my expertise on this one. Okay. Um, human trafficking is not just the sex slaves or the cheap labor because, you know, I have colleagues that have blood boys. Do you know what a blood boy is? I'm Do unfamiliar. Tell. Do hmm? tell. Do I'm, tell. Yeah, we need to know. Okay, so blood boys are, and I've seen them do it, you know, in a work environment where they sit down, they literally get blood transfusions from younger individuals. Okay. Keep them healthy. Right. Blood boys, blood girls. Um, the amount of stuff that actually goes on and people just do this and put blinders on and close their ears and it's kind of, okay, I'm going to tell you what I see from a healthcare perspective. When I see a child that's 12 years old that comes in that's an immigrant and has a missing kidney. <laughs> You know, or when I'm at the, you know, northern Iraq and everyone's saying, Saddam's such a bad person. He did all this, yet the Turkish people are harvesting organs from all the Kurds. Double standard, really? <laughs> um, you know, who's buying these? You know, uh, you know, I can delve into that one, too, because we all know Qatar is being sanctioned for not providing um, financial records. And we all know, and it was public knowledge, that in August and September... Of 2016, Obama and Hillary bought brand new houses in Qatar. Yes, ma'am. And where's the money coming to fund Kurds and ISIS and Turkish people from? Qatar. So Trump has thrown a big wrench in a lot of things. And like I said, there's arms, right? Yep. So first is the human trafficking arm, which is masked as immigration. This is why we're allowing illegal immigration. That lets us have access to more 
product yep. without anybody claiming it. And there, it's there it twisted. is. It, it twisted indeed. And, and people, um, I, I don't want to go too far here. People will say, well, if, if this was true, if, for example, oh, just, I'm going to use this as a hypothetical. Well, if, if children were being killed in snuff films or whatever, or organ harvesting, where are the victims? Which they are. If you go on the dark net, you see it all the time. Absolutely. I, I, I get that. Yeah. Like, but where, uh, where are the victims? Like with the, uh, say this truck in San Antonio was never found with the nine dead bodies in it. What would happen to those dead bodies when, when they got to where they're going? Dumped, used for parts, if they were viable. You'll be surprised how many things are being reused. You, you know, folks, we are not talking to a, um, just anyone here. We are talking with, uh, a person who, who, her resume is just is unbelievable. Um, I mean, it's incredible. She's she's um, go back to the beginning of the show. Yeah, um, it's like it's like it's very hard to just. I want people to understand that immigration is human trafficking. Yet we, the people, see it as a way of you know injecting the economy with skilled labor workers, etc. You know what? If that was the case. Then why are why is it cheaper for my laboratory to hire a nurse from the Philippines than it is an American? Yeah, explain that. Uh, are you- right. So yeah. So if I hire a nurse, okay, and thank gosh I don't do it because I'm the boss. So all I do is put signatures, and I'm the one compiling data and telling people off when things are skewed. Um, but there's people, the actual people that privately funded this, that have appointed people to do this. But what's weird is I remember getting documents and thinking, well, why are we getting these Filipino nurses? Oh, they're like, we'll make 75000 for each of them. I was like, what? They're like, yeah, we don't have to pay for this. We get a credit for not having to use Obamacare. We don't have to this. We don't have to that. You know, nothing. And I was thinking, what? No, I want Americans. And then I'm forced to have people, if I want it to be academically based, that are that are in the Saudi education programs to work on stuff. Uh-huh. And it's like, well, why? We have American students that need this information, that need to learn. You know, this is America. You know, I'm an immigrant, too. Immigrants should get opportunities. Don't get me wrong. But are they in America already? Why are we just bringing them over to get the knowledge and what? Leave? Just like Cutler said. We're teaching them to be nuclear, you know, scientists, and then they leave. You, you know what? Um, our, our guest is Dr. Tori Lindemann. Uh, we've only got about five minutes left of the program. We've danced around, folks. We've danced around a lot of information because we've we had to because of we we had to obviously. Because, but it's, I, I think they understand though. I I I I know they do. Our audience is really smart, uh, intelligent. I, I, you're going to have to come back specifically for this and other topics. But in the in the remaining five moment, five minutes we have left, um, to take it wherever you want to take it because this to me. Is perhaps one of the deepest discussions about the deep state we've ever had. If- Here's a discussion, and I want to leave people thinking about this because I saw someone in the chat putting it up. Do you guys? Okay, we all know that the Clinton memo is to get you suicided or you're murdered, right? That's the going theory. That deep state takes you out by suiciding you. Or whatever. Isn't it a coincidence how John McCain was told on July 14th? that he needs to answer of where this Fusion GPS dossier, who paid for it, where he got it from, and suddenly he has brain cancer. Maybe. Just say. 
Oh, I'm just saying. Thought, thought, thought. I'm just saying. This is this is touchy, but we need to be radical on this. And like I said, I'm very, very, very sassy on this. We have to look at the timing. 14th, he says he was off. He was told, and that kind of flew under the radar. You need to account for this Fusion GPS dossier right. that you got. He said, I'm going to go back and get my just annual checkup. It's no big deal. Next thing you know, he's got a blood clot behind the eye. Next thing you know, it's brain surgery. Whoa, that escalated quickly. And next thing you know, he has brain cancer. Nothing to see here. John McCain either. Because, you know, when Bush is sick, we're in the room videotaping him, right? In the bed. Right. We see McCain. Did he have surgery? I'm just saying I'd like to leave people with that thought. To just kind of see where we're at because John we all know that the Fusion GPS co-founder already fled the country so now we can't get them we have no idea where Rob Goldstone is so we're never going to get to the bottom of that and do you realize and did you have you seen the graphic have have people seen the graphic of the of the media involved with Fusion GPS all of the media i mean it's it's yeah. amazing yes and nobody's looking you know Loretta right. Lynch overrode her visa denial Loretta Lynch Wired, like, like she tapped Manafort's phone on the day of the meeting, so she heard everything. They already have audio of the meeting. There's records. She did that. She, the FBI, even sent an interpreter of their own. So it's like, not a setup, really. You've been sitting on this information for 16 months, and you pull it out of your hat right now. Isn't really? that interesting, huh? Let's just put it one and one together, and now the Fusion GPS co-founder left. McCain has been brain cancered, but we haven't seen him. And being someone that works with kids that have bone cancer, I don't take cancer lightly. Right. Okay? And, and, and you're right. Uh, real quick here, and, and I know you can answer this in about 10 seconds. We have uh, we, we have somebody that sent, sent an email. Since when are organs, uh, organs from heat stroke victims viable? This is re- relating to the, the truck. What's wrong with that question? Okay, no, there's nothing wrong with that question. You're right. But um, it's not just, you know, organs like a heart that we're looking for or lungs. There could be a limb that we want or a finger or skin from cadavers for skin grafts. Even a tendon. Or a piece of liver to attach to another one. You know, um, there are ways that you can repurpose human remains or use them for studies or... Other Abramovich type things. Yeah, exactly. And, and thank you for that. And by the way, I didn't. Had I read the last line of this of this email, or that'll be the last time that I, I ever ever uh, have you uh, use a question from you. Um, our guest could could run circles and, and does run circles around you. Don't ever write to me again. By the way, and I apologize because I I, I just I, I don't I don't I don't deal with stupid very well. Uh, or or obscenity very well. Anyway, uh, this is so fascinating. I mean, unbelievable. I think we've talked more about the deep state without really, I mean. Mm-hmm. Without really talking about it, yeah. Because we're understanding exactly what immigration is. And like I said, hats off to Cutler, who had the patience and kept his head down, no matter what he probably saw, if he saw. Because, you know, they're very good at just making sure that only certain people see things. Well, well. Um, you're, okay, you're going to come back uh, Wednesday when we talk about health care. Yes, and anyone who has people over 55, please have them listen because this is going to be very important information. Oh, man, I'll tell you, talking with her today, did I learn a lot uh, off air. Um, and we're going to have you back as well to talk more about your observations in other areas. 
We'll leave it yeah. at that. You are just fantastic. I mean, Dr. I got Tori Lindeman is wow. our guest, and we have reached the end of the show. Until next time, stay safe. God bless. Have a great evening. 